All right, we are live, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the Break the Rules live stream. I am your humble host, Love Poliakov at LovePo on Twitter, and we have two people who appeared on Break the Rules before, but never together, and this makes it an incredibly special stream. I would have never expected these two to be in the same virtual room, but here we have it. We have the great and powerful Vladislav Davidzun, who is a fellow of the Atlantic Council, mind you, and also writes for such publications as Foreign Policy Magazine. And we have the information trafficker, Drew Tang, joining us today. And you are a prolific writer, esotericist, Twitter personality. And today we are going to be combining these two very different worlds into one where we're talking about the elites, what are the motivations for the elites? Is it just stupidity and going with the wokeness flow of today? Or is that just the outside appearance and inside is much more sinister and planned out? So we're going to be talking about that. Make sure to hit that subscribe button, hit that like button, smash that like button, and also uh, share this with all of your loved ones, including your pets. We're going to start with Vladislav. Uh, what is your take on what is currently going on? I know that you are not the biggest fan of uh, what's going on with the elites today. And let's just get right into it. Great. Thanks for having me, Lev. Big fan. You're a good man. Uh, you're a bright man. Uh, I, I like listening to you. I like spending time with you. I like uh, I like the whole thing. So uh, uh, first of all, I'm, I'm live streaming into you from my apartment in central Paris bookshops mm. book, book, books behind me uh in my uh in my ensemble just came back from teaching i have to say this is a set piece where you have one gentleman wearing a hoodie and the other gentleman wearing basically a turtleneck uh and a silk handkerchief and a tweed coat and this is ideological framing right i am in some ways a member of the elite if anyone can be said to be part of the elite um it's like 10 years ago people would say i'm not a hipster i'm not a hipster there's no such thing as hipsters really they would have conferences and little literary magazine periodical uh, gab fest about what is the hipster what was the hipster what was the western political elite what is someone who is a member of the quote-unquote blob someone ringing in uh, did you hear that, Lev? Yes, I did. That's probably your handlers uh, calling in to make sure <laughs> that you uh, are towing the line. But go on, Vlad. It's funny. We should have a conversation about that. I do. Uh, you know, I am I am tolerated because of my uh, my intelligence and my my language skills and my connections and my uh, my uh, uh, publications and my connections in Ukraine and Russia and my. Uh, uh, my 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 the many things for, for which they, they've credentialed me and they tolerate me and they like me but they don't uh, you know they don't really trust me i wouldn't say that mm. they really trust me Wait, so, so just to be clear, you know you know zelensky you know like the whole crew a dinner of zelensky i won't say i haven't there we go uh look i'm a member of the, i'm a i'm a fellow at the atlantic council so all these twitter idiots left and right idiocy is bipartisan Hundred uh, percent. Uh, it is. It is. It is. universal. It doesn't have a. Doesn't have a partisan uh, tinge to it. It doesn't have a party. It doesn't have a, a groupsicle to it. It is. is everywhere. A lot of people think that oh, just because you're a fellow at the Atlantic Council, you have connections to this tank or this think tank, or you're you're hanging out with the Council of Foreign Relations, that you are a um, automatically 
uh, set within one set of paradigms. There is a lot of bureaucracy and there's a lot of groupthink. And we are in a time of groupthink, oddly more now than 20, 30 years ago. And, uh, and we'll get back to that. I will start with this. It is manifestly, for me, obviously, the case, manifestly obvious to me, that is the case, watching Western elites, and I do watch Western elites, and I do spend time with Western elites in Ukraine, uh, Russians abroad, in the UK, in France, in America. I was just in London all this week. I saw uh, I, I, I saw three members of the House of Lords on, on Wednesday, one for lunch, one at his house for drinks, and one for dinner at Westminster Parliament. I observe the elites very closely. Uh, they are not what they used to be. Western elite are degenerated. Not not the not the three gentlemen. You know who you are. Who I had dinner with on Tuesday, but <laughs> other, others amongst you. Um, others amongst you in 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 Washington D.C. in Washington D.C. policy apparatus in the State Department in the think tanks in the think tank world in elite publishing in the elite structures of the Western world. Western elites are not what they used to be. There has been a noticeable and serious degradation of Western elites over the last 25 to 30 years. That is the thesis. Let's continue on from that. All right, Drew. Now, I know that you attributed certain things going on with the, with the giants whose shoulders today's crop of elites are standing on. But would you say that among those who are not as well versed in the art of eliteness, you are still having enough people who are doing enough conscious damage to the world as opposed to just running on the fumes of whatever they think is for the uh, benefit of mankind and is socially good and all that. Yeah, for sure. So, um, so yeah, I think it, I think importantly, you know, to, to set up the conversation as far as what I see as the reality of, of the elites. And, and I think I agree that they're, you know, they've degenerated, um, especially, you know, as in all systems with a lot of nepotism, when you're not operating in a meritocracy in that regard, um, there's obviously degeneration. Um, what I see happening and, and why I would, why, you know, I'm on that side of the duality here where I would say there are some conscious, um, conscious objectives and plans playing out. Um, I would say, I mean, they're very basic and I don't even know if, if Vlad would, would disagree with me, but, um, I know obviously any throughout history, there's always been, everybody always wants to centralize power. You want to, there's always been a conqueror, whether it be Napoleon or Hitler or going back to, um, you know, Alexander the great, all these, um, you know, each, each century or so has a, has a conqueror that wants to form a, take over the world as, as much as possible. And I think, I think that's never stopped. I think there's always, um, you know, any, any time there's power, they want to continue to, to try and centralize it in as many ways as possible. How I see that happening today, of course, is, um, I see historically, you know, we had the, we had the world wars, which kind of broke down boundaries and then, um, and then, you know, ended up making the U S very powerful, you know, then there was two superpowers. You have Russia and, and the U.S., and then you have now effectively one. Um, and we keep trending towards more and more centralization of power, um, even yeah, even though globalization makes a global economy. Um, you know, we we still ended up with with one superpower. And uh, as far as the apparatuses 
to um, to implement that or, or the control. I see, um, you know, I see the Rockefellers pushing for, for instance, just uh, just for instance, um, you know, they they gave the headquarters to the United Nations um, in New York um, on their property and um, through the Rockefeller Foundation have funded various initiatives throughout the world. Um, but uh, but yeah, I see I see constantly um, a lot of uh, it's always about centralization power from my perspective, especially I see, um, you know, a lot of the wars that are the U.S. considers wars on terror. You know, obviously, I don't, I don't think it's controversial, again, to say that oil has a lot to to do with a lot of that controlling the oil supply due to the U.S. petrodollar um, to maintain our dominance, which is now being threatened um, in this Ukraine war um, with Russia and China gaining, um, you know, starting to cooperate more. So I see some decentralization there. Um, but but yeah, I'm just interested to, to try and find out where we disagree, because, again, we did have you know, we did chat a bit before. Um, and there were some some uh, some slight disagreements, I'd say. But I'm I'm interested in to 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 see um, what's your opinion on or, or of of certain things. So I think we had we had mentioned the Iraq War, and uh, that's just just one of the things on my topic list. I was, I'm wondering on you know as we're now 20 years out from the beginning of that war, what were your perspectives, and what do you see as um, and again, we, we had this conversation a little bit, but do you see the um, the push, which now it's pretty much universally agreed that that war was started on false pretenses? Do you see this is, I think, a good example? Do you think it was you think it was negligence and stupidity that the ruling class of the uh, United States pushed us into that war where uh, uh, possibly a million Iraqis died? Um, again, that number is not to. You know it's hard to count, but um, and a lot of profit was made for various companies like Halliburton, which we mentioned, which Cheney, you know, used to run. But yeah, what's your opinion? Do you think it was just negligence, and or do you think it was um, intentional? Okay, let's let's unpack that. There's a lot of it, uh, to, uh, a lot to unpack. First of all, uh, speaking of Rockefellers, I think we're getting to a crux of division between you and me i believe that you are possibly going about these things in too personalistic a fashion i do believe that particular elites and great men in history the great men history uh thesis have you know influence but i i believe more in grand let's call them grand narratives right economics uh decadence historical laws, uh, economic class interests, culture, uh, you know, economics. I believe economics is downstream of culture. I believe that uh, laws of history in a big Hegelian H uh, way and in a smaller way are, are very important, that the uh, political formatting of uh, the infrastructure of a nation is very important, that uh, the regional interests of elites are very important to understand the way they're formed. I believe that the institutions... <clears throat> that form elites are very important. I believe it's important to understand the internal social structures and the tapestry of uh, the the structures that form elites. What are what are the qualities 
that are inculcated in new elites. I think that's more important to understand to understand the world that we live in than the particular ideology, temperament, pathologies, ideology, whatever, of a particular ruling family, uh, even one as wealthy and well-connected as the Rockefellers. Uh, again, uh, uh, let, let's not use the words conspiracy theory because that that is, in fact, the heuristic for cutting off uh, people who are in uh, the, the bubble that uh, that's, you know, managerial elites occupy and, and uh, uh, elites who are kind of adults occupy uh, away from people who would, would be wearing a ideological sweatshirt or a hoodie in, the, in our conversation. <laughs> right. Um, I, I do not, I, you know, you know, I don't believe in, in saying no a priori to any idea. And when we say conspiracy theory, we're already culling uh, what can be said from what cannot be said, closing the Overton window, et cetera, et cetera. So I, uh, in this conversation, uh, even though it's framed as a guy in, you know, kind of a free thinking guy in a, in a pearl neck and, and, a, and, a, and a sports coat well, with a silk handkerchief against a guy in a black hoodie somewhere, uh, the anarchist against the, the system man, you, you know, although I prefer to be the anarchist in the system man and to see, <laughs> the, the uh, system and inside the anarchist, uh, we're still going to have to look at big grand narratives. I, mm -hmm. I don't believe that uh, the, the the personal ideological uh, bureaucratic temperamental thing vibe of the mid-level of the Gates Foundation is going to explain to us the world we live in. Although that's that's interesting and it's not yeah. unimportant. Ideology are are there to produce ideology. So uh, I, I think unpacking that is very important. Let's start with that. Secondly, uh, Iraq war. I marched against the uh, Iraq war as an 18-year-old boy uh, exactly 20 years ago. It was obvious to me it was going to happen. Props, I, that's I, impressive. I, well, I mean, I was, I was, a, I was a, a boy. I, I organized against it. I uh, marched in the 2003 uh, big marches in, in March of 20. Uh, 2003. It was exactly 20 years ago, and I, I was an 18-year-old boy, and I, I was already radically uh, uh, militant in my politics, and I was very interested in politics already. And uh, obviously, it was an exciting time to be an 18-year-old in in America, in New York City. Uh, so I, I I was against it, and I, even as a fairly precocious, and I was fairly precocious, 18-year-old, it was obvious to me there was going to be disaster. Why it wasn't obvious to people who were, uh, you know. 30 years older, I mean, and positions of power. I don't know. Was it done for oil? It, it wasn't done for oil like the first Kuwait war was done for, the first Iraq-Kuwait war was done to uh, control the oil uh, infrastructure. The second one was about, you know, the maintenance of American hegemonies, the maintenance of uh, the supply of energy to the Europeans, even more than to the Americans. It was about control of the, uh, obviously, the American American power in the world is uh, uh, not just based on nuclear missiles, based on naval power, control of the, uh, the shipping lanes, right? Historically, mm -hmm. as a naval power. That is the obvious uh, way for a country like America on its own continent with access to the Pacific and the Atlantic to... Uh, project its power, right? This is uh, uh, American American contributions, intellectual contributions to the intellectual history of, of military thought, all original American contributions to the history of intellectual history of, Ameri of, of military 
fought are in the sphere of uh, of naval power, right? We know we know this, right? Sure. We don't, we don't argue that, right? I I believe that America twenty years ago, uh, one one political party was captured by a utopian creed, just as the other political party is uh, is uh, captured by utopian political creed. My uh, can I I can ask my wife, my my darling, my my battery's dying. Can you bring me the charger? So I don't have to get up. I believe that the Republican Party was uh, was captured by, uh, and let's not use the words cabal because you're you're one of the blacks, black hoodie, not me. Was captured yeah. by, don't get me don't get me too excited with those type of words. Don't get me excited, man. Uh, it was it, it, the, the Republican Party was captured by an ideological stream, an ideological cohort, as opposed to cabal. When we say neoconservative, we don't just mean Jew, right? Okay. Uh, I, I, I was from, from uh, uh, my my conservative friends all the time. They say neoconservative, and I know they mean Jew. Yeah. I mean, it, Paul Wolfowitz, no. and yeah. Twenty years ago, that was the case. Now, when they call me a neoconservative, my my old leftist friends in New York, when they call me a neoconservative, they just mean the wrong kind of Jew, right? <laughs> so that 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 little sociological sketch aside, it, it, it seemed to me obvious that at the time the, the Republican Party had been captured by a cohort of people. Who were, uh, you know, thinking about the world in a in a utopian, rigorously utopian and crazed fashion, the same way that you could look at the the the, the ideological cohorts who have captured the uh, the elite platforms of uh, the Democratic Party now, although not the whole party, but basically the lever the certain ideological. Just, just to interject, I think. Um... All right, so you're you're basically talking about, for instance, the think tank project for the new American century. Would you say the members of that think tank are are kind of that cohort that you're um yeah, that you're part of it. I, I believe they closed it down around 2013 or something like that, or uh even 2017, but uh uh, uh it was uh, Krautheimer and Wolfowitz and all those mm. people, yeah. And I could give uh, another and- example, by the way, from Wolfowitz in the uh, July 2005 interview in the Atlantic. He talked about how uh, uh, he wanted a Western inter- intervention to remove the shackles on democracy when it comes to all of these different uh, regimes in the Middle East. And I still don't know, though, is this a genuine belief of somebody who wants this to happen, or is this just a mask being worn in order to then generate some other profit and to make use of this uh, tragedy in some way? Because people can say all kinds of things. How do we know if it's the genuine article as opposed to just an illusion for the sake of justifying bad things that happen? Uh, Look, I've spent a lot of time in the Middle East. I've I've spent a lot of time in the Middle East everywhere, from Iraq to Iran, from Egypt to to, to Lebanon, Israel, I've been everywhere except Algeria, right? I've, uh, I've been everywhere except Algeria and Saudi Arabia. I've been all over the Middle East. Uh, it, it should have been obvious, and it was obvious to normatively not stupid American political elites that you're buying off the governments of all these places uh, to protect you from the people there who hate, um, who, hate, who hate us. And by us, I mean me, your Jew. <laughs> Uh, New York, New York Jew, uh, who's a member of the Atlantic Council. Um, they, they, they don't, you know, it, it, it's obvious that, I mean, in some places there's less anti Americanism and anti Western, Western thought than others, but like the, a lot of people in the population of Egypt don't like, don't like the West. There are a lot of people in, 
a, a place like uh, uh, Syria or a place like Iraq. Um, and Sunni, Syrian, you know, Arab, not Arab, it doesn't matter. There are a lot of people in the Levant, the Middle East, who simply don't like, for actually historical reasons, completely understandably, the West or Americans or the British or uh, uh, British uh, British oil, whatever. And the, po the point of the entire American diplomatic military infrastructure was to buy the elites off in these countries to protect ourselves from the populations who don't like us. Uh, more democracy in these places uh, is is not what you want if you are a if you are a kind of rational elite. This was the case before uh, before uh, George W. Bush's uh, cowboys came into power, right? It, it, I mean, these are these are not politically correct things to say, but there are lots of people in the world. Uh, in these societies, which for various, various complex reasons, which we don't need to explain now, do not have democracy and don't have liberalism and uh, need need democracy even less than they need liberalism. Right. And, and you shouldn't have democracy there be before you have liberalism. So if you're like a properly rational elite of the old school, why would you why would you want to have, you know, why would you have want more de democratic input uh, from the Egyptian population uh, on on what relations with America, Europe, and Israel are going to be like. You don't, right? So uh, these neoconservatives, they are operating on delusional ideological ideals, and they believe them. And they also, I think some of them believe that what's good for uh, whoever, uh, whichever company that they're, they're aligned with is good for America. I really do believe it. I believe that uh, uh, people like Dick Cheney should be distinguished from the neoconservatives, right? But I, I think he did believe that what was, what was good for, uh, what was good for uh, Halbert and was good for America, right? In the same way that uh, uh, reasonable, rational 1950s elites believe that what's good for Ford and good for Jim is good for America. OK, so so on that point, I think this is what I'm trying to, you know, trying to um, distinguish here is what exactly um, because we're talking about the elites and corruption and stuff like that. I'm trying to figure out where the moral line here is, um, because I see, of course, um, I see Cheney and, and of course, his connections with Halliburton, which profited heavily off of the Iraq war, which um which we now know is started on false pretenses. I look at that and see Cheney knew. Well, I just interrupt very quickly. I'm sorry, I forgot to end it. I know Judy Miller very well. She's a she's a close friend. Judy Miller is a close friend. Um, I like her very much. She's she's been very supportive of my work and of my journalism. Judy Miller, I think, is a noble person who did good work and and was lied to. And when I asked her. I personally asked Judy Miller about the evidence. She told me that she got lied to by uh, by people in the intelligence services. Mm. Uh, so make about what you will. Mm. I asked. I actually went and I asked Judy Miller about the evidence mm -hmm. for WMD. Uh, you know, that's that's a that's a fucking connection to the elites, man. Like there, I asked. There is another she, thing, by uh -huh. the way, regarding the WMDs that I heard, but I have yet to research. That uh, Vladimir Putin was also giving certain hints about there being WMDs in Iraq to the United States government. And I wonder how much that was the time of, you know, I looked into Putin's eyes and saw his soul when it comes to George W. Bush and whether there may have been some malfeasance when it comes to maybe tricking certain naive people that way by the Russian government. 
Is this stretching? Is this not uh, something? I don't think, uh, we're going to give a gentleman uh, his turn to talk mm -hmm. in a second. I, first of all, I don't think they needed to be tricked. I they were looking for what they were looking for, and mm -hmm. uh, anyone who played up to their to what, whatever they was looking for, I don't think they needed to be tricked or manipulated by the by the Russians at the time, or were were very happy to go on board because the, I mean terrorism. And Middle East terrorism, Islamic terrorism, is a big problem for the Russian Federation. They really thought, Putin really thought that he could have a really fruitful uh, coalition situation at the beginning with, uh, with, with the Americans, that they had mutual interests. He, his feelings were really hurt. He, he has real grievances in the sense that they're like, they're not legitimate. I'm a Ukrainian patriot and all that. But he has like real, as in they actually exist, grievances, as in a man who, whose feelings were hurt and who was, feels rejected. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Yeah. Drew. Um, so, so yeah, um, just on that same, um, on the same note, just to, just because I think Iraq's a really, Iraq is really nice. And I think, uh, well, it's not really nice, but it's, I think it's a good yeah. subject to talk about because, and, and this is kind of, again, going back to some of our earlier conversations, why I think it's so important to to talk about the past is because as things happen in the present, there's the fog of war. So we don't exactly know what's going on until right. we can look in, in retrospect and we can get a few FOIA requests and get a few documents released that otherwise um, we would have never seen. Um, as far as the Iraq war, um, earlier, just a, just an earlier point that I written down when I said um, when I mentioned about the gas. Um, according to my understanding, I believe Saddam was about to start, and you did kind of mention this, I think, but he was about to start selling his gas in euros to the, um, to the European nations, um, which, you know, I see as definitely, um, an aspect of, you know, maintaining control of the petrodollar, but, uh, that's a bit of a side note, um, on the on the false um, starting it under false pretenses and, and kind of why I see this as a great example of why I see the elites as not incompetent but actually completely uh, well you know and when I say elites I think this is another important distinction like you were saying you know you talk to people who are you know who were lied to by the intelligence agency so um, so you know in good faith it's they're just trying to do their jobs and act in the best interests of the country. Um, what I, when I refer to Miller of intelligence services, what's that? Are you talking about Judy Miller of the intelligence he, services? Um, the intelligence I was talking services. About, yeah. Lying to her. Okay. Um, well, okay, fine. Mm -hmm. yep. So, so what I'm referring to, um, in those instances is of course there's, uh, the mid-level and, and lower people in, in the certain government offices and stuff. They don't, um, you know, all you can do is rely on what your intelligence agencies are telling you. Um, what I see, though, of course, when we talk about the Bush cohorts, um, obviously the Bush family is very heavily involved in the intelligence agencies themselves with, of course, George Bush Sr. running the CIA at uh, uh, one point. Right. Um, so those um, when I'm referring to the elites having uh, malevolent ambitions, I'd I'd be referring to, say, the intelligence agencies who were lying to the people underneath who would have, you know, otherwise good intentions. Um, I think in terms of the Iraq war, uh, another just uh, I have a link here to a video, an interview with um, 
on Democracy Now! with General Wesley Clark, um, where he says that pretty much immediately after 9-11, he was told um, by the higher ups that they already had a list of seven countries that they wanted to invade, knowing that there was no connection um, between what happened and, um, Iraq, and these Syria. countries. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I dropped the I dropped the link in the um, in the chat there. And then I have, um, uh, of course, the uh, uh, Robert Mueller talking about uh, telling everybody that there were WMDs in Iraq. But um, but yeah, that's I mean, that's that's the type of thing I'm referring to. I see that I see when I'm referring to elites and saying that they are not just ignorant or, you know, incompetent. And they have malevolent intentions for self-gain. This is exactly what I'm talking about, where something happens, a, an event like 9-11 happens, and then they're able to use it to their advantage in order to start wars that, um, that profit them and, and centralize power. And especially we're talking again about the cohort and the, um, the project for the new American century. And specifically in, in the report, I believe in, in the year 2000, they specifically said, you know, these wars that we want to start to centralize power and maintain American dominance, it's going to be hard to get the public behind them without some type of, and of course I'm quoting, a new Pearl Harbor. Um, so okay. I see them, not only, not only are they, you know, something bad happened and then they used it to their advantage, I see them specifically and very intelligently and not not out of ignorance or opulence they know exactly what they want to do and given the opportunity they're willing to kill a million people in order to profit and uh centralize power so that is my that's the thesis of my one good example i think of the elite actually being very competent and able to pull it off and i think that one of the main reasons they're able to pull it off uh, to your point, which, um, you know, you're talking about being a young man who protested against the Iraq war, which, again, massive props on that. That's awesome. That's so cool to have um, to have, you know, stood against that I, as you know, I see I see a lot of I see what I do is, you know, hopefully in that same vein of right. trying to um, get the public's opinion um, going the correct direction and away from propaganda and stuff like that. And I think that um, is another part of the apparatus that I see as very, um, very intelligent, not negligent at all, is the control over the media. Um, and of course, in the time of the Iraq war, um, they, you know, for instance, I believe it was um, NBC kicked one of their um, reporters off for, oh yeah, here we go. Um, Phil Donahue um, on MSNBC um, was was kicked off because he was um, saying that the Iraq war was not justified and then that we shouldn't do it. So that's okay, look, the, okay, the look, media. Okay. All right, go ahead. I, I just don't I just don't think there's any centralized control of media. I, just, I don't. Um, uh, so why do you think that? Why do you think that they were they fired dissidents of um, of the Iraq war? Do you well, do you I think that there was connections? between the same people who lied about the reasons we went and killed a million people and the people who fired actors or fired voices on the mainstream that were trying to 
warn people that it wasn't a good idea to go into the war? There's no connection there? Remember, look, I don't remember that happening. I honestly don't. If I did, I would, I would say it now. I just don't remember that happening. Uh, if I if I went back and, and looked through what happened, probably I would I would know more. Okay, I have uh, a I have another link here to a video of uh, interview with Phil Donahue talking about mm. exactly. But what I guess happened. I I don't want to speak for Vlad, but the vibe that I'm getting is that a lot of these things that you mentioned, they could potentially also be attributed to the same reason why you have somebody in California, New York, supporting various transgender oriented programs, even though they don't know each other. You know, like there yeah. may be certain things That's in right. the air that get people to uh, be against those who would question the war in Iraq, for example, at that time. Yeah, yeah. That does not necessarily yeah, mean they know each other. But to Drew's point, though, when it comes to this intelligence apparatus uh, that let Judith Miller know certain things, the question is how many people could potentially and where the evidence is for that be able to direct certain things in their favor from more of a malicious point of view as opposed to uh, a more, you know, like we want to spread democracy in the Middle East and, you know what I mean? Like those people, how many well, look, of those... Look, Saddam Hussein was a problem. I mean, like I, I was just on a, I was just on a, uh, uh, a podcast with my wonderful friend Claire Berlinski and I was, we were having the same exact argument about, about Iraq and, and Ukraine 20 years later. And it, it, actually, I had, to explain, I had to explain to my Ukrainian wife why this is important. She's like, I don't understand. Why does Iraq have anything to do with now? I said, oh, darling, I have a lot to explain to you. I, I explained this to my Ukrainian wife, why, 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 this is, why understanding that is important for understanding what's going on now. Why there are people who are skeptical of Ukraine now when a lot of the arguments sound not dissimilar. Uh, mm -hmm. But uh, again... Um, it's it's not the case that uh, we we discussed this with Claire that Hussein wasn't a real problem. He was a real serious geopolitical problem. There were there were all sorts of conversations, arguments about what to do with him, how to contain him, how to box him in. Was he really? I mean, there there were arguments which were legitimate. They sound and the, and the U.S. did help him come to power. Uh, am totally. I correct in, in saying that? I mean, we have, we have we have receipts for that. I mean, all sorts of uh, all sorts of stuff happens where Americans uh, do something, and then there there is blowback. Uh, 20, 30, 40 years later, I mean, this is this is the history of uh, uh, American tinkering with the world. Let's use that word. Yeah, tinkering. Osama bin Laden and uh, you know the USSR and all that. Yeah, we can we can uh, we can we can agree till the cows come home. They've they're already home. The cows. We agree with them. The cows, right? What color are the cows? Black, white, gray, and gray cows. Uh, it's 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 the case that that happens over and over again, and that uh, events are contingent, and that all sorts of stuff happens. You can't predict the future because uh, you know the future is very difficult to predict. Things are messy. People are messy. People are irrational. People believe in all sorts of psychotic nonsense. Uh, economic uh, incentives don't always make people do what they're supposed to. People believe in all sorts of silly ideas. They b behave like they're not supposed to behave. The you know people the, the popolo they charge direction. You know all sorts of all sorts of stuff happens. Whereas you make a decision and it has all sorts of repercussions, and then it's contingent. History is contingent, and the way that elites run events uh, is mostly in reaction to where they are to uh, as opposed to having some sort of massive conspiracy for where they can see the world going so it, it was very much the case that saddam hussein was a geopolitical problem for a lot of people and they did uh 
take the opportunity to to get rid of him. And also, there's the psychological stuff. He tried to try to assassinate uh, George Bush's father. There's a lot of psychological stuff that doesn't really fit into the oil for blood paradigm. All right, there's a lot. There's a lot there. There's a lot of unnecessary emotion and Freudian psychology involved, right? Where where I don't I don't believe that uh, this gentleman's correct that the economics uh, and cupidity and evil actually explains everything. There's just a lot of unnecessarily hard to place emotional stuff there, right? Make sense? Sure. Yeah. Uh, okay. So so you're saying you know, um, even though the even though the think tanks did, you know, say if something like a new Pearl Harbor happened, we could use it to start these wars for our own benefit and profit. Um, and then they happened and then they or an event happened. And they were able to utilize it exactly how they wanted to. And then they had uh, in terms of the media um, that we brought up before. Um, right. I think so. How much do you think? Do you think the intelligence agencies have no influence over the mainstream media in the United States? Because I think historically, no, no, historically, a that's now. a lot you know. now. Okay. Okay. Look, okay. Well, how about in, how about um, what we found um, out Operation in the, Mockingbird. In the, yeah, the church committee ago, hearings. 20 years Do you, th do you ago, think that stopped? 20 years ago, you had a, a situation where the, where the American elite legacy media still had its own uh, center of gravity, which is no longer the case. The mating between the uh, the intelligence services and bureaucracies and the uh, what's left of the legacy media in the wake of 2010, 2012, when when the legacy media just collapsed, right? Where where the uh, where social media and the tech tech corporations just destroyed the 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 old legacy media and their their economic model. And then all sorts of bad stuff happened, and the 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 legacy media went into some stupid directions, and became partisan power verticals and made it of the intelligence services. Uh, that that is a modern thing. That wasn't the case in 2000. Phil Donahue, when he got fired, uh, as you're as you're saying, and Judy Miller, mm -hmm. my friend Judy Miller, 20 years ago, they were living in a vastly different media environment. The media environment now is radically different and radically more debased. And radically lacking, uh, much more lacking its uh, lack of partisan thing that it was supposed to be running on. The the media now uh, and the media then are radically different creatures, radically different structures. Hmm. Just a quick question: There was the yes. uh, Church Committee that was investigating Operation Mockingbird uh, back in the 1970s, right? So already back then, there was this uh, case I, I, of... I have not been born yet in the Soviet Union. This is before my time, but go ahead, yes. Okay, so this was the case, from what I understand, of uh, right. these um, relationships between the media outlets and uh, these uh, front organizations that were used to disseminate propaganda, uh, where you had right. uh, agents that came in there in order to influence things into a certain direction, and there was the whole church committee hearings about that, and it was revealed that the CIA engaged in these in um, illegal and unethical activities. Yeah, yeah so, sure, this happened. Yeah, yeah so this is, historically this happened. It's not like it doesn't happen. But for the most part, the uh, the legacy elite media in America had their own center of gravity, which when it was compromised, and it was occasionally compromised, was a compromise of norms. I'm making the argument now is that all those norms are out the window, and you have this really weird time where uh, 
all the ex spooks from Obama administration are on TV on CNN as <laughs> journalists. It's just really weird, man. I like I like I go to the I go to the UK and I talk to members of the House of Lords and intelligence people and uh, like in France, this doesn't happen. There's like there's always like the cooling off period and then there are norms. Like there, you don't leave uh, the Macron administration as the head of like CMDG or whatever and then go on TV the next day as a, as a talking head making three million dollars a year from France Van Cat. It doesn't happen in the UK. Former heads of MI5 or MI6, they go to, off to Oxford and they sit at Christ Church at high table and they smoke their pipe and they they charm their little little uh, uh, disciples and they uh, get drunk and give away state secrets uh, at the table after a couple of drinks. They don't go on the BBC making six million pounds a year. Uh, it, it it's just a completely different thing. It's a ridiculous degeneration that like that clapper and. Uh, all, all these former spooks, uh, heads of intelligence services, no, Obama uh, and, and Trump administration immediately get jobs on Fox News and MSNBC. This is ridiculous. Like, this is like this is a new thing, you kids. This wasn't this wasn't the case when I was growing up, you know. Well, it's definitely a higher level, but was there nothing of that sort at all during the time of the Iraq war, at least when it comes to certain prodding, you know, when it comes to getting uh, news reporters to say uh, the right things? Because I would assume it would uh, be pretty uh, uh, foolish for intelligence agencies not to make use of whatever opportunity there is there. Agencies lie, man. The intelligence agencies lie, and that's their job. It's their, it's their, sure. it's their job. We have an entire industry of misinformation, disinformation now, which, uh, uh, which tells people how to think. I think it's important to make a distinction between, between uh, lying, and mis mis misdirection, and using uh, structural methods in order to, to get fools and rubes to get your your uh your uh, uh message across very often now like i don't get information as a journalist or my colleagues don't get information unless intelligence services one of them leaks something very often uh most of what you see in the newspapers because it's not like the journalists are so smart it gets leaked to various people and then they check it or they double check it or they don't check it but it, it's been it's been released for one end or another what you're talking about which is different which is a different category of elite control is top-down control from the intelligence service and bureaucracies of let's say the Salzberger family where we, where the intelligence services call up the owners of the Washington Post and the New York Times and the Financial Times and they say you have to do this or you have to do that that's in a completely different like Soviet style level of control that doesn't really to my mind exist or didn't exist when I was a kid and there's just there's just like a lot of people in elite circles now are even if our journalists are actually um, operatives for the Democratic Party, right? They're like they they mm -hmm. believe they believe that what they have to do is to make mm. Democratic Party win. So like they, they they're, they're more activists. And is it similar who... with Twitter? Let's say with the whole Twitter files fiasco, where you had members of yes. the intelligence community coming in there, and it's not like they were threatening, you know, the lives of the family of the people, or else they wouldn't do it. It was just something that uh, I guess was. In the yeah, air no, that yeah, like this is in the Soviet Union. No one, no one says like no one's gonna, no one's gonna take jobs away yeah. from you. Like the worst thing that happens in their circles, and it's important to them, is that their kids don't get to go to the right schools. Yeah, yet there like, wasn't any leaking before the Twitter files, yeah. from what I understand. I mean, isn't that interesting to think about? Like you had all these no, years. Actually, no, 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 no. no, no. I, uh, I, like it was obvious to me and people in my circles that that that. that 
that people in Twitter uh, were talking to intelligence services. It was obvious already with the Hunter Biden stuff. I, I was just, Biden. I wanted to bring that up next. Mm -hmm. I, can I, first of all, I'm a Ukraine hand. And I, if you, if you look around on the internet, I was actually uh, a minor player in, in Ukraine gate. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm actually in, if you, if you read Hunter Biden's uh, Wikipedia page, I'm in there. Uh, I don't know if you know this. Uh, oh, no uh, way. I'm, I'm you, a, did you get him the job at the gas company or? I'm in, oh, I was, I wasn't like, no, I mean, I, I, I was like a federal witness about that stuff, right? Oh, you know, okay. CNN reported about that. This isn't like a. This isn't a secret anymore. You could just Google <laughs> Vladislav Davidson and see. Oh, here it says over here: C uh, CNN reported that Vladislav Davidson, the editor of Ukrainian magazine The Odessa Review, told CNN that in 2018, Telezhenko offered yeah. him money to lobby Republican senators in support of pro-Russian television stations in Ukraine. When I knew, about, yeah. I knew about Hunter Biden in 2018, man. Like it's all true. I mean, like the, here's the thing. I mean, like I'm I, I'm a I'm a member of the Atlantic Council, and uh, and I know all the people on the Hill who work on Ukraine. And I was there. They like the people who were covering for Hunter uh, were 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 looking for information on Hunter Biden. Were trying to bribe me. I went to the feds with that. I was there, man. It's not like you can't tell me it's bullshit. I was there. I saw it with my own eyes. No, but but look, but look at it this way though. You yeah. and other people who are in the know are in the know. The people who are on 4chan or are like watching yeah. the more dissident yeah. networks, they're in the know. But the normies right. were not in the know, at least from what I understand. We have they all those. The they, they were not in the know until very recently. The, P right. the PMCs right. I'm talking about, you know, like the people yeah. who have respectable jobs in all kinds of industries in the U.S., yeah. they were dead sure that all of this was just a Russian psyop and that, not uh, you know, like. No, you don't. You no, disagree. Like, I mean, like I, I, I mean, I, that's true. Yeah, it was. Yeah, absolutely right. They, they were, they were tricked. All those people, all those nice people, they were tricked by uh, the nice people in the White House who were, uh, who were having nice conversations with the people in intelligence services, who were not having nice conversations with the people in Twitter. All, everything that Matt Taibbi put out is absolutely right. All these people, like Mehdi Hassan, who are trying to go after him. Are, are just party operatives, right? I'm and here's the thing. I've never voted for Republican my entire life. Okay, just so you know. Wow, the the hoodie and the tweed suit are in a hundred percent agreement. This is phenomenal. This is the power yeah. of break the rules, everybody. Subscribe right now. Here's the thing. We don't like. I don't agree with this guy on the generative power uh, of the Rockefellers to explain all this stuff. I don't. But uh, I, he, he and I have not disagreed on anything yet, as far as I know. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, it's about, t it's about time you should. So when we're talking about, like, the Rockefellers, I agree with uh, you, Vlad, that uh, there is this air of tradition that people take up, whether it's the normies who would disengage from any uh, information that uh, would be, let's right. say, pro-Trump or against Biden, as well as with the gender and r critical race theory and all that stuff. Like, we understand that people fall into these cultural categories, but at the same time, there are also, I'm sure, very rich people out there who stand to make a lot of money from certain events throughout history. And it would be very foolish of them not to do whatever it is in their power in order to put money behind things that they think are going to work out. Would that be a stretch for me to say, or would you agree with uh, that so far? Uh, look, I do believe a lot of the cultural churn 
that we're seeing in America and a lot, it's, it's zero, you know, it, it's zero sum because culture war really is zero sum. There's very little compromise to be made on these issues. It's very polarizing. A lot of it is bread and circuses to keep uh, to keep people from demanding, uh, from keeping people from demanding for more in a really diminishing an economy. America, for various structural reasons, the digital revolution, um, uh, globalization, we're not going to go into why things are really bad, but things are really bad. Uh, you know, 75% of American electorate voted either for Donald Trump or for uh, uh, for uh, Bernie Sanders. Like three out of four Americans, not a particularly radical country full of moderate people historically, for various reasons, moderate, nice people who want to make a living and uh, it's a capitalist country historically. They wanted either socialism, uh, American socialism, or they wanted like national, social nationalism, right? As opposed to national socialism, right? Uh, they, they wanted either like some sort of retreat from the present into the past or, or, or even weirder retreat into another kind of fantasia, right? What is Bernie Sanders? Return to Eugene Debs. What is... What is uh, what is Donald Trump? A return to kind of uh, 1928 style Mussolini corporatist alliance of big business and 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 the popolo, right? So these are two different fantasias of a past, which three quarters of the population fled into, seeing how stupid and horrible their lives were, right? Um, I, America screwed up. Like instead of having a serious conversation about what is to be done with 80% of a population living worse than their parents did. Uh, we're having stupid conversations about trans rights or about like, you know, very stupid things, you know, or, or like, you know, gun rights or whatever. It's just, it's a lot of bread and circuses to distract the rubes from very serious tectonic shifts in the economy and the political economy of the country. I, I So just on, just on that point, I think this goes back to, um, what we were talking about earlier with, I wanted to, um, you know, get your perspective on it with, you know, we did used to have an, an anti-war movement that was, you know, that the left supported heavily. Like I assume, you know, in the Iraq war, there was, there was actual legitimate pushback. Um, and, you know, totally. uh, I was there, man. Yeah, existed. Yeah. I was part of it. So that obviously, you know, that is not where the energy is in the um, in the dissident left or even any type of protest movement. And of course, when you're talking about the distractions from the um, economic disparities and and um, the 2008 bank bailouts is, I think, a great example of that. And then, um, you know, you had uh, Occupy Wall Street and then all of a sudden you. Yeah. After that, it was just all BLM and um, and then a, a whole identity range stuff. of cultural issues. Identity We're, stuff, divisive mm -hmm. tribal identity stuff. From that both corporations are all 100% behind constantly. And I think the only time we've ever seen any pushback really is is recently with the Bud Light is they, I think they I, finally I picked you? with the wrong demographic. My man, there are some very, very, very responsible, very conservative, very reasonable, important people who had very big jobs in the State Department, in the Defense Department, who are in their 60s and 70s in the Atlantic Council, in Brookings, in Cato, who agree with you. They're very serious, very intelligent, very, very, very rational people who have had uh, security clearances who do not disagree with you or me one bit. And just so you know, I, I think it's important to understand mm -hmm. that. 
But the disagreement, from what I'm understanding, still comes to whether, sure, we have these corporations that are just looking out for their own self-interest. That is very obvious. That's a very human thing. But beyond that, there would still, I imagine, be a certain layer, like an upper crust layer of people who have so much money, they don't know what to do with it, but at the same time, they may be motivated in terms of a vision to the future that they consider to be correct. And you could also say, Vlad, that their vision of the future may be just as SJW-ish, for example, uh, like the normies have, or it could be something else. And I think what Drew is getting at, the reason why, for example, we were talking before about the past and talking about how there were all these California eugenicists, whether it's the Rockefellers and so on, who supported uh, Hitler and all that, that people who are in these positions of power, you know, their imagination may tend to run wild. And they may end up doing certain things that they think is going to, you know, improve the race or whatever, or do certain things that normal people would find to absolutely abhorrent. And when you have a lot of time on your hands and a lot of privilege growing up as somebody who has everything that they ever wanted to have, I can just imagine that there would be people in that position that would see themselves as having some kind of a mission to fulfill. Maybe I'm uh, aggrandizing no, it too man, much. You know, no, no? It, you're, it's, it doesn't work like that, man. Like American elites work a lot. They, like members of the American political elite, as in even people like in the in the in the Century Foundation, who I knew when I was like 18, 19, um, yeah, they just work really hard. It's like you, I'm not you, saying you, they don't work hard. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying they're... in America. It's like it's you have it now and then you have nothing. And like mm-hmm. they, there's it's not there's no class of sybarites who sit around dreaming and and pulling levers. Man, they they really have to hustle. American elites really hustle from the time they're young to to when they. Uh, uh, compete very hard to get into law school for when they grind out into the corporations. Like American elites work really hard and they work like donkeys, man. Like it's not the same in France or Italy or uh, other places. I mean, it's like I, I it's just the, the the portrait that you're painting of the aggregate of American elites. And we even have to think we have to even describe what sure. we're talking about elites. It's not it's not commensurate with how hard they have to compete to keep their place in the system. I'm not disagreeing, and I don't think Drew's uh, disagreeing either, that these elites work hard, that they're not just sitting around munching on uh, cookies all day uh, while dreaming. But the difference, I think, is that when you're in a position when you know that whatever it is you do will have much higher ripple effects. You know, we're not talking about a butterfly flapping its wings. We're talking about, you know, uh, Mothra or whatever, you know, like we're talking about something, yeah, something much more high caliber when it comes to the decisions that you make. At that point, when I see certain things like, for example, and sorry to go all tinfoil hatted on you for a second, but there was this organization, yes, there there was this organization, uh, Bohemian Grove, the Bohemian Club. It was started pretty interestingly. It was started by, um, you know, that great American uh, writer, Samuel Clemens, a.k.a. uh, I am. See, I remember his old name, Mark 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 Twain. Twain. Thank you. Yes, it was started by Mark Twain. It was a Bohemian, you know, artsy, fartsy organization. And then eventually you get people like David Gergen, who worked for the Clinton administration, who was caught on tape being very angry that Alex Jones uh, revealed that he attended this Bohemian Grove meeting where they were like wearing robes and stuff. 
And to me, I'm not uh, gonna I'm not gonna go do, and say like this do, is doing like, a mock human sacrifice. Yeah, yeah, yeah look, like this is these are these are socialization rituals for mm -hmm. people who are already in the elite. These are th this kind of stuff happens everywhere, and it's it, it's it's part of a course. Elites everywhere operate based on basic sociological princes, principles. It, rich people everywhere hang out together. Uh, wealth leads to power, and power leads to wealth. Right? Uh, this. Unless there there is actual some some kind of proof of uh, of a charter of political ideas that you have to uh, subscribe to before you put on the hoodie or the hood uh, at Bohemian Grove, it's this is just like frat boy stuff for once already in. I you know like this is. I, I um, yeah that's 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 interesting that you uh, bring that up because that is uh, on the same vein. One thing I wanted to get your opinion on to again see if we could find something to disagree with. Yeah yeah. Um, so. I think a really important power center in the U.S. is the um, is the skull and bones of Yale, the skull and bones uh, society in Yale. Bush and Harry. I think yeah yeah exactly. I think the I think I believe was that uh was that 2004 when they ran against each other? Yeah 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 mm -hmm. yeah. So so having the two presidential candidates in the United States being dude part I'm a of dirty group, I'm a dirty immigrant. I went to CUNY before I, before we had money. I went to CUNY. Uh, I got, I did my graduate studies in Europe, man. I, like I went, I really went to CUNY. I'm a dirty immigrant, man. I didn't go to Yale. I, I don't know. I wasn't there. I know I have friends who went to Yale. Like I can ask them, but they don't talk about it. I have asked. They don't talk about it. They're not supposed to talk about it. Uh, I, I think that's, I think that's just though that, that example is just something where I would say it, it it's, um, it's, it, uh, leads itself to the conclusion that there's a lot more coordination. That's very conscious. If okay, you here's have the thing. A, if you why have a very it, elite society like that. People, there are, look, there are elites who gravitate towards each other. There are social networks. Why do we mm -hmm. overpay to send our kids to Harvard at like a quarter of a million a year? Why is sending why is sending a kid for the for like the Harvard, Yale, Stanford uh economic premium worth it? The it's network, yeah. The network, the network effect, right? Obviously, the connections, the network effect. Like if you go to parties. And some of those parties are more colorful than others. You get to meet kids who will be uh, in in elite positions in their sectors. That is not, to me, prima facie evidence of any kind of conspiracy other than the conspiracy of self-sorting by economic and prestige uh, uh, positions by people who are very, very ambitious, right? One thing I wanted to add is that it's also... It's it's not just that it was you know Bush and and Kerry, but it's uh, you know it's generational. So Bush's father and Bush's grandfather Prescott, who got caught in the trading with the Enemies Act, helping to fund the Nazis through the Union Bank. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and then George Bush Senior, CIA. Um, All right. Well, it, it's it's a generational uh, it's a generational thing, and institutions like the Skull and Bones help to make sure that the ideology and the the generational goals stay relatively consistent so that's where i that's where i derive my viewpoint of um there being multi-generational goals um, and specifically social networks look privilege does reproduce itself these are these are people who whose grand people grand grand grandchildren and grand and grandparents went to to uh harvard and yale and that's that's i mean that's the way countries reproduced elites i mean i live in france man like 
if you want to if you want to see a aristocracy masquerading as a republic come here mm-hmm. you know it'd be a lot worse than the american case you know but when it comes to let's say something like skull and bones we can take the very bone dry pardon the pun view of well, all of this just being an excuse to socially network with people who are of your same social status but then we could and maybe this is me reaching we could take the other view of let's say why were the ancient greeks and ancient romans the elites mind you of that time so interested in their mystery schools so interested in becoming members of the pythagorean order or various other cults that were appearing at that time why did you have for example alexander the great's teacher being aristotle why did you have uh, somebody like plato being sent over to syracuse after being kicked out several times over and over again to uh, teach the king I think that people who are in those positions, they're not just complete squares who are totally materialistic. I think that inside of some people, there is a certain desire to know more about what this reality is, to know more about like what life is, and to also have a certain view of not just what you're doing right now to make as much money as possible and to do as much drugs as possible, but maybe to pass something on to the next generation. So again, these are just all assumptions. Well, let's okay. I I will say that's, I will say that it's correct that healthy political elites, healthy martial elites, are not lacking in resources. It's actually uh, it's within the British system. There are people who argue all the time, but it's important to have a wealthy, uh, generationally wealthy elite that reproduces its wealth and its privilege in order to give them the the space for for psychological intellectual growth that they can that they can have other characteristics that they could be self-sufficient self-sustaining coherent uh those are arguments that you hear out in the open in a aristocracy or a country where class is very important in america you know it's uh these things are are run by proxy so american political elites um, you know, they are ripped up root and stem every 30, 40 years. The country is completely continuously reinventing itself. So in some ways, it's actually kind of silly that we're talking so much about the Bush people when those people will never be in power ever again, ever. Like it's the, it's the, and the wasps are out of power. Uh, arguably the wasps have reinvented themselves as the wokists. It's the revenge of the, uh, uh, it's the revenge of the, uh, the wokists. Uh, is the revenge of the of the deracinated class wasps uh, in America? Your position on the elite is never is never very. I mean, look, I mean, you're, the, the Bushes are the last generation of that kind of white America being in power. After that, you had a hillbilly uh, southerner, a Baptist. I mean, he he went to Oxford, but, but he, like he's an outsider. And then you had Barack heavily Obama. tied in with the Rockefellers, though he's. And with well, a, he, he followed, he Carol, followed. Carol Quigley was a mentor of his who wrote a lot about all of these associations with the elites. Like I wouldn't take Clinton as somebody he was who was, man. He was, he was like a, he wasn't a member of them, or he was like a, he was a real outsider. 
right? He, he didn't but he did have a... an interest. That's the key here. Where with America, it's not like we have. You're absolutely right, Vlad. It's not like we have this aristocracy. What we do have, though, is like you were saying, a certain mindset that people can embrace. And when you've embraced that mindset, maybe that makes you just like Augustus to Julius Caesar, where Augustus was not Julius Caesar's son, yet in the Roman Republic there was this tradition of ad adopting certain yeah. kids who you saw as yeah, being yeah. uh you know who had the stuff to continue the tradition onwards sure yeah i mean i mean well again this is a question of how either elites are uh chosen or how they're reproduced and those are two different mm -hmm. questions uh so well, just one thing real quick i wanted to to bring up please. is is you're right there um you know i i doubt a, a bush will ever take power again um but I think what's important to, to see here and, and what I found in, you know, my own research into such topics is that there's always, you know, there's a necessary rebrand. You if you want to maintain your power um, within your group, you need to you need to switch things up. People's brands go in and out of fashion. So with the right. Bushes, the whole the Bush family, uh, you know, originally came to, um, you know, came to prominence because Samuel Bush, Prescott's father, worked for the Rockefellers at Buckeye Steel Company. So he got, you know, he was very close with the Rockefellers. And then, you know, they were all uh, skull and bones, all these circles. And they, um, you know, throughout time, they, you know, the Bush family took over. And and what the Rocket, there was a, um, a vice president uh, Rockefeller under, um, I forget who exactly, but, but yeah, so there, there's always a, there's always a slight rebranding going on. And I think okay. just, just to bring it to, um, that was Gerald Ford, by the way. Oh, that's here. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, hello. There he goes. There he goes. Junior there. Aww. Hey. The next generation of accountants. Yes. Every, exactly, exactly. Everybody subscribe to empower uh, Drew's uh, next generation of the calendar elite. But yeah, that was Nelson yeah. Rockefeller and he was vice president under Gerald Ford from uh, 74 yeah. to 77. That's right, yes. So then, yeah, so, and, and to see, you know, the, the power structure continue, you've yeah. got, um, you've got, uh, of course, George Bush Sr. in the CIA, then his vice president, then his president, then, of course, you had the Clinton, Clinton intermission. Is that a conspiracy or that's just the way elites are reproduced then? Is that a conspiracy? Well, no, that's, well, that's what I'm saying is it's, it's, I think, I think that's the core of our disagreement or, you know, whatever we think is mm. a disagreement is what I see as, um, you know, I see their, I see certain objectives as morally bad, like, um, which with we're, what we're talking about with Cheney and Halliburton, I see orchestrating a war um, or being prepared to take advantage of a situation to go into war and then immediately going into it, coming up, having intelligence agencies come up with false reasons to go into it, and then killing a million people while you profit, even if you think it's patriotic or that, you know, you're just trying to create a new American century. I see that as very bad and, and morally wrong. Um, just to just because Skull and Bones well, is such a, such a there are a lot of people who think it's morally wrong, including myself. I like if I if I mm -hmm. if I was going to frame it that way, which okay, I I might. Uh, I also think it's very wrong. And it's also mm -hmm. even more than that. It's counterproductive. It's it's even worse because uh, America went through a historic decline because of, of the foreign policy of America was mis. Uh, uh, it was it was uh, for for a generation. 
for, for in fact, four presidential terms to Bush and to Obama, the American foreign policy was radically, radically bad. It was stupid. The, the smart, quote unquote, smart kids in the in the uh, Obama administration were, were were probably even stupider in the ideas that they were following in the Middle East than the than the dumb kids, the stupid kids in the in the in the yeah. Bush well, administration. Well, yeah, that, that's a great that's a great example as well, though, the the Bush to Obama transition, because I believe there's yeah. now uh, leaked or, or FOIA documents that show that the intelligence agencies were specifically using Obama's reputation in order to get Europe and the rest of the world on board with our other interventions, which Obama, you know, of course, got us involved like in five, five additional interventions, uh, like Libya. What? Libya, uh, in I mean, particular, he he, um, he led from behind. He tried to not he he tried not to not to do that. I mean, that was a uh, I mean, Libya was an understandable thing. I mean, it was it was Libya was not a great thing. But it was an understandable thing compared to other other. Well, I follow Michael teaching on this block. The kid is not liking our thinking. Wait, hold on, Drew. The ba the baby is adorable. I would just mute for a second, right? Yeah, now. yeah. Sorry, sorry. Speaking, no problem. But everybody, subscribe for the sake of that beautiful uh, little baby. So, anyway, uh, Vlad, you were saying again, man. Like, the Obama administration was isolationist. Then you had Trump, who had basically the same instincts, except less elegant and less sentimental about the world. Uh, and then you have Biden now, who would also have preferred a smaller American footprint in the world. You have actually the fourth, you know, presidential term in a row of someone who wants a smaller American footprint in the world. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know what it is that we disagree on. I mean, I, the the invasion of Iraq was a massive catastrophe for the country that we never. That we never dealt with in of, of the trauma of that loss of the tens of thousands of Americans. Forget the Iraqis, although that's a real thing. That's that's a, that's a real cost in the world. But uh, internally, we never talked about the internal costs to America, to American uh, blood, to American uh, limbs, to American treasure, to the opportunity to to take that trillion that we or two trillion or two point seven trillion or three trillion, whatever it was that we buried in the sand of Mesopotamia mm. uh, to take that and to do something like like re-educate the American working classes, industrial deindustrialized classes, or to create a middle class in Africa. I mean, there are opportunity costs. We had a couple of trillion dollars and we, we spent it on something stupid. The million dead Iraqis aside, and that, that is a real moral thing, but that aside in terms of our own internal interests, once you once you put aside the suffering of, of people that we caused for no good reason, there there are real opportunity costs for money and resources not spent and internal trauma and anguish hmm. that American political society had to deal with after after the loss of those two wars. So know? here's where I think I can uh, bring on Drew's opinions when it comes to what you guys will definitely disagree on because you I'd guys like yes you guys agree on even though uh drew does not attribute as much stupidity as pre-planned or you know like a lot of uh, greed to a lot of these decisions in iraq be that as it may 
if we move away from Iraq, which we could attribute to either one of those things or a bit of one or a bit of the other, if we look at the overall picture, the thing that a lot of the folks on 4chan are very concerned about, given the state of the world today, is the whole Great Reset business and the way that they see it. And again, this isn't me speaking, this is they speaking. The way that they see it is that it's not a uh, bug, it's not an error, it's a feature that America right now is declining. So the way that they see it is that there is a controlled demolition of the entire Western sphere for the sake of having some kind of a top-down system where you're going to have all these people living in this very poor way, equally poor, while having the privileged elite at the very top. So that's the idea that a lot of people have today when it comes to all of these climate change related policies and the Great Reset, World Economic Forum, yeah. and that that is the big bad today. The question is how much of that is also these elites being SJWs and just thinking that they're doing the right thing versus something much more organized. Yeah, that's a great question. That That is somewhere where Drew and I might actually uh, disagree on. First of all, as a member of the Atlantic Council and as a paid-up member of the of the Blob, to the extent that I am, well, I live in I live in I live I don't live in Washington D.C. because I don't want to be there. I just I mean like I don't want to like I don't want to climb the steps to be a member of a National Security Council. I just don't like that's not it's not my ambition. It's not what I'm interested in. I could. I don't want to be the head of a of a think tank. I don't want to be like a congressman. So I don't live in Washington D.C. Right. If I wanted those things, I would live there. Uh, but that aside, as a member of the uh, of, of the quote unquote elite, to the extent that that being a member of the Atlantic Council and 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 going to conferences and reading white papers and writing white papers is what makes one a member of the elite. Uh, I I believe that American power is actually good. I believe that the the, the, the a world run by Americans is the least worst possible world for everybody. I was born in Central Asia. Uh, I, I've 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 seen the Russians up close. Uh, you know, a, a world run by the Chinese or the Russians is not the world that I want to live in. The Americans, uh, for all the problems, like the the world liberal order, is American hegemony running NATO and mm. uh, 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 Amer- American run international structures. Americans should be running those structures. A world run by Americans is a better world for everybody, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, all the imperialism and hegemony and all yeah. that nonsense, leftist nonsense aside, a multipolar world with the Iranians and the Chinese and the Russians and the Arabs are fighting for dominance and the Europeans are weenies declining is not a world I want to live in. The Europeans debased themselves in the Holocaust and World War II. Um, they should not be running the world. They, they, they shot themselves. Uh, 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 a world run by by uh, the nice people at Brookings and the State Department is better for everybody, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if Drew agrees with that, but again, tweet Jack. But, the, but they're not the Great Reset people. Just so we're clear, the Great Reset people actually want America, or at least in the mind of the people who hate them, they want America and the West in general to fail. So I don't equivocate them with uh, America. But Drew, go on. So yeah, um... So just to, uh, I'll try and summarize, you know, my viewpoint on, um, I wanted to bring this up. I think, I think COVID, uh, specifically, and be there's careful, a couple we're of still on YouTube. We got a okay, talk yeah, and yeah. code, well, talk and code. The last, <laughs> the last few years, the events of the last few years, I think there's a couple of 
I think there's a couple of. Uh, I think there's a couple of. Oh, um, is it is my audio still coming in good? Yeah, everything good. Okay, yeah, yeah. okay. perfect, perfect. Okay, so so I think in general, um, you know, you just talked about the you know, um, uh, the world order, the liberal world order. Um, you know, and and of course, in in my hoodie conspiracy realms, you know, the new world order is of course something that we talk about quite a bit. Um. And of course, you know, George Bush Sr. specifically said it in speeches multiple times, you know, they, the exact phrase. Um, and um, so, yeah, that's that's what I see. There is a uh, from my viewpoint, there is a coordinated um, multi-generational goal to create a new world order, which is um, high concentration of wealth for the ruling class and everybody else is living as minimally as possible and the minimal amount of people are living um which is you know brazil, brazil and north america argentina and brazil and north america right um wait wait what was that i mean the concentration of wealth i mean we you're talking about bringing brazilian style system to america north america and europe essentially yeah um okay. So, so how this all ties together, I think, I think Skull and Bones is again, a great example, not to, you know, focus on them too much, but the Skull and Bones, their, um, their symbol, their insignia, they use the number 322 underneath the Skull and Bones in reference to, um, 322 BC, where, um, Athens turned from a democracy to a plutocracy. So, okay. you know, changing from, um, you know, a vote of, you know, a voting society into a rule of the wealthy. And I think what's very important to that, and, and again, goes to my position as the elites are very coordinated. They have multi-generational malevolent intentions, which, you know, I guess they could see as positive, but it's not positive for the people that they step on on the way. Um, and the core of that is eugenics and population control. So what I see happening is eugenics, of course, was the science of the day before World War II. Um, the Nazis, of course, learned it from the U.S. The Rockefellers funded the uh, Kaiser Wilhelm Institute of Eugenics in Germany. And then, of course, I, I believe in Mein Kampf, Hitler even says specifically he was basing his program off of what he um, observed of California's. Um, I think specifically to tie it directly to skull and bones and of course we've already talked about the connections uh, i think the last skull and bones member in the government was steve mnuchin um you know head of the treasury which is hilarious on the dollar bills he doesn't cursive he he prints his name which is i think hilarious but um why? To talk to, to, what's that why is it hilarious why does he do that uh, why because he... i have no idea why he does it but it uh it's just like he's, I don't know, I find it funny that every dollar bill now that's printed, um, you know, under the Trump administration um, has, uh, you know, has an imprint. By the way, you do understand he got that job randomly. I mean, right. I mean, like he, he was just like the random treasury guy. So Donald Trump was the head of a, of a counter elite, like of random people, a confederation of losers. That's what a counter elite is. Outsider insiders are like a rich person 
with no access to power and grievances. He is a, a classic outsider who chafes to be an insider and, and is too vulgar and much of an outsider and does not dress himself and behave himself to be an insider. And he, he has all these weirdos and amateurs inside his administration. And, and he also needs like a, a proper central banker. So he just he found the one guy who didn't insult him during the campaign. Uh, you know, it's, it, it, I think it's almost random that he got a Goldman Sachs banker in it because he, he kind of ran as a, against the finance capital people. I mean, as a proper Marxist corporatist, right? He, he's against, represents industrial capital and a bunch of losers against Wall Street and the, the tech oligarchy, right? Um, Steve, right, that that was that was just kind of a complete side point. I was just trying to yeah, to, to, to point to bring up that but there I, is still outward skull and bone members in um, in the relevant government. Uh, I'm just going to keep uh, keep going forward because I just want to kind of get please. this and make sure it's a succinct point. So to connect um, skull and bones, which centralization centralization of power, very coordinated, very intentional. Um, and very powerful historically. It's not, you know, not a conspiracy theory to say that this group has held a lot of power. Yeah. Um, specifically, um, President Taft, who was a Skull and Bones member, after being president, he became the Supreme Justice of the Supreme Court or the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. And one of the one of the major cases that he ruled on was Buck v. Bell, which um, basically legalized forced sterilization in the United States. Um, yeah, weird stuff, man. Yeah. So uh, that's, that's one example. And then of course their goal overall to be, um, plutocracy, to have a rule by the wealthy, given that that's what the, you know, the date that they referred to in their, um, under their name. Um, I see that, that goal and that same, um, that same social group of ruling elites, they have that same negative, um, they have that same negative goal, and I see it tying into um, some of the social aspects that we call, talked about earlier, where back in the day, they would, um, thanks to Taft's ruling, they would forcefully sterilize children in um, California. And now we, have, now we have California passing rules that allow for the chemical castration of children, um, and even, even um, taking them in as refugees from states that have banned the chemical castration of children. Mm. Um, but if, I, so if I'm being a lawyer here, I just... Psychosis, man. That's a social psychosis of swaths of the American ruling elite. That's decadence. That's like late... Mm -hmm. That's late Roman civilizational style decadence. It's like that's, that's Nero stuff. That's Caligula stuff, right? That's like... That's not... That's something that happens in like an advanced, screwed up psychosis society where where ruling mm -hmm. elites start to say that it's well, to, it's, to, to be fair, so I, I just to say the, okay. the social the social movements are, um, I think to to some to some uh, degree, I think we could agree that there are coordination of the um, of the media to push certain um, social trends, such as feminism back in the day, and there's. There's a interview with Aaron Russo, who he talks about a discussion that he had with a Rockefeller family member where he says, what do you think feminism was about? Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, that was to get women in the workforce so we could tax them and then get their children into the schools exclusively um, so that we could indoctrinate them. Um, and, you know, that one interview is not is not necessarily proof of anything. But Vlad, yeah, it's a bit too pat. 
But go ahead. No, no. Uh, when it comes to a lot of these uh, things that Drew was mentioning, that would be, and I understand that we only have a limited amount of time, but in general, that would be an interesting thing to look at and say, okay, well, if this gentleman was talking about how feminism was partly done for this particular result... I wouldn't necessarily throw that away, right? Like, that would be a pretty big thing where I think, okay, so then maybe there were people who, regardless of whether they were around women's rights, that would have still been happening, but maybe they would have given it a little bit of an extra push if they saw that it would benefit them. So I'm not looking at this as being black and white. I could say, like, sure, we can have people who see a lot of this gender stuff happening, but maybe you could also have people within certain positions say, you know what? I like the yep. way this is going. I'm going to help push it even further because of my own uh, weird things. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying that that's impossible either. What I want Drew to do, though, I don't know if you, if you can do it or not. Do you have any receipts as far as certain things that yeah. members of the elites have said today, not like 50 years ago, not like during Taft's time, but yeah. uh, today when it comes to what they intend to do and why they intend on doing it. Because otherwise, we'll, we'll keep going back. Population control? And, sure, population control. It's rebranded, uh, yeah. So, yeah. So, so, um, so again, on the multi-generational thing and, and something else we talked about earlier, which was the need to rebrand certain ideas. So, obviously, eugenics pre-World War II, completely acceptable. Everybody thought it was great. Scientific elite of the time, complete Fad. agreement. That, Fad. They, uh, Fad, yes. Yes, well, yeah, sure, sure. So, so um, after World War II, obviously the brand of yeah. eugenics has has degraded. So, you had John Rockefeller III start the Population Council in the 1950s. What was his goal? Was to give uh, was population control, which they had now had a whole new reason for. Before eugenics, you know, they were just like, all right, get rid of the the lower class, the infirm, et cetera, et cetera, which happened to not be their own families. Um, but population council, they, at that point, they had the idea of overpopulation, which they had, um, come up with the idea after, uh, world war II. um, you know, before they didn't have a real overpopulation reason for eugenics, or maybe they did, but now was the focus. And they, even, um, in those later days, for instance, there's a February, 1969, um, publication of the Population Council, where they specifically mentioned that they um, were exploring involuntary sterilization methods. Right. Um, they were talking about the third world, of course, but um, but uh, but yeah, as we know, it's legal to do that in the United States as well. Um, but to, well, to look, kind of, like, to kind of sum is, that all up, historical weirdo. These are like historical weirdo psychosis. There are. Uh, in American history, there are periods of psychosis starting from the very beginning of a country. Mm -hmm. Salem witch trials, right? The country yeah. begins with like with, with a lot of people having like crazy do you, ideas. Do you not see population control as a as an overarching theme in in our culture today, especially with people like Bill Gates? Do you think that's? I mean, I think it's. I think that exact the the institutions that's that what, Rockefeller put in afterwards where do you are see the ideology gave the basis for it. Where do you see the population control ideology? Like, I'm I'm open. Bill to Gates, it. his uh, did you see his TED talk? Where he, I mean, that's always been one of his main goals is, is population control. What did oh, he say? He, he said uh, he said through vaccinations, um, we'll reduce child mortality, and that way people will have less children in the third world, and then we won't run into overpopulation, 
in the and the justification justification given is that'll reduce the carbon imprint of of uh of the mm. generation and and help us through First climate all, there change. are too many of us like there are too many of us right like they're like obviously there are too many of us For, like i walk around the street they're like why are all these people here i'd hate these people <laughs> i don't like these people I hate traffic too. And, and there's nothing wrong with being responsible as far as like if you're ready to have family and if you can pass on good uh, uh, lessons to your kids instead of, you know, just like being a single mom in a drugged out household. Obviously, yeah. it will be better to have kids if you've got your shit together. Like that's, I think, obvious. The right. problem that I have with uh, just uh, Drew's take, but I do have something to back Drew up as well. So I'm of uh, two minds here. The problem is that just by Bill Gates saying that, it's not enough if I put my lawyer hat on to say that's the same as uh, uh, involuntary fertility control, but to yeah, yeah. but to agree with Drew uh, partly, there was that studies and family planning uh, from the uh, from the population control public uh, council publication in February 1969, where they do have. I'm looking at it right now. It says B establishment of involuntary fertility control, and then it says mass use of fertility control agent by government to regulate right. births at acceptable level. So there is something there. It's still still not current it's not today it's like 1969 yeah, it's, it's, yeah I, I was just i was just trying to show that okay. one at a time uh, vlad sorry sorry go ahead 60 years ago there was a fad of neomalthusianism this happened this yeah. was a fad like a psycho like in the same way that like trans stuff tra like like uh, the the main they share objectives no they share outcomes no, I mean, like, the, there are, like, in the same way that you could say the Salem witch trials were an American, like, psychosis localized in time and space, and California, really, like, people, they're making their Golgotha chemically sterilizing children, being, making that their main issue is a form of social psychosis, which the internet and cultism got them into. And you could say those are both forms of American psychosis, great American berserk. But it's to say that it's part of the same ideology. I don't know, man. Yeah, I mean the only the only other thing that I would give, and I don't want to focus too much on this because again, I really think these things would require, let's say, somebody like yourself, Vlad, uh, some time to actually go in, look at the papers, compare them to yeah. uh, contrary evidence, and I t think it's kind of you know putting anybody on the spot just to say like, do I agree? Do I disagree? If this is like the first time you're hearing certain things, right? But yeah, yeah, but that's but, right. that's, but that's, that's a yeah. Famous. Generous. Yes, but that that being said, I think what yeah. Drew is aiming at here, which I think is particularly interesting, not for now, but maybe for the future to take a look at, is that there are certain relationships with, let's say, people who were the heads of IBM and the parents of Bill Gates. Like, there are certain incestuous, let's say, relationships when it comes to certain people who know each other who may, and I'm just saying may, I'm not saying 100%, pass on certain ways that they see the world to the next right. generation okay, that, that, that's legitimate but I, I just want to say this the counter argument to you drew is that now the thing that everybody's concerned about and just read the read the newspaper read the financial times right hmm. last week the financial times they had a front cover page story lowest birth rates in italy since the resurgimento since 1861 and then you have all these learned i all these learned people doctors and and people with demographic degrees writing into the Financial Times this week and saying it's actually the demographic are worse and the incentives are worse and blah, blah, blah. Like the, the things that elites are now argue, worried about is declining birth rates to the point where post-industrial society doesn't have uh, uh, 2.1 children per woman, blah, blah, blah. The Malthusian stuff is obviously there in history and 
that's real intellectual history. But that's mm -hmm. not what you get when you open up the Financial Times in London or in Paris now. It's a bunch of elites worrying about not having enough workers. And, and, and at the same time as the rise of AI is about to wipe out a huge totally. swath of, yeah, of white collar. So there's no longer necessary. You're right. But like here in France, the, the, the elites are arguing about the need to make people work till 64. That's what the French are killing each other over right now in the streets. Mm -hmm. They want to work till 62. And the elites are like, no, tax base requires you to work till 64. It's completely legitimate, by the way. Um, it's like uh, the Malthusian stuff is uh it's very last century man it's like it's like this isn't what this isn't what do you, do you think bill gates doesn't still have that doesn't still have the same goal as as he so were you not aware that that bill gates's big thing was always population control he always like that was the I big do, purpose of his bill gates man i don't follow okay. Bill Gates. It's not okay well it was it was it, it was his main goal was to do is to control population i believe positive positive methods like, but maybe like population in Africa where people still live as if the last thousand years of technology and technological uh, 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 breakthroughs have not happened. Like there are parts mm -hmm. of Africa where people still live in the 8th century uh, AD and it would be better for them if they like they had modern technology and instead of having 14 kids, they had four and those kids were vaccinated and and had education for sure for sure for sure like, yeah i was i was just funny. again just just saying the mm -hmm. you know i was drawing the conclusion showing that it's still a relevant goal and i agree now now we're reaching the point where um these various population control methods turns out they were too effective and now we have a whole different set of problems um, it wasn't even what, uh, it wasn't the we do have a set of problems but it wasn't it wasn't population control methods it's like the combination of of modernity education longevity uh, birth control now, for women, what, women's what organizations were behind those the, what organizations were behind the proliferation of birth control methods and what organizations specifically in the United States helped with those such as abortion and and well, I have a quick question for Drew. Drew, if those organizations didn't exist, do you think we would have had these same things happen or no? Uh as no, far as feminism, as far as birth control, so, so there wouldn't be like an entrepreneur. No, feminism and birth in. control are very tied together, 100%. Well, well that's yeah, that's interesting clean, because yeah. like you wouldn't see that there being an incentive in terms of some capitalist uh, structure for somebody to come around and say like, hey, I have this way that you guys could have sex without uh, worrying about getting pregnant. Nobody would come around and do that without the aid of these uh, surreptitious groups working behind the scenes. That's what I'm trying oh, there, to I mean, yeah, sure, there's a market incentive. I'm just saying the people that ended up doing it were the same people that were obsessed with eugenics and not in like a fun, positive way, like um, giving birth control <laughs> methods. Okay, but, so, so here's how we a, can... But a nasty, nasty involuntary sterilization. I just want to make this point about okay. Planned Parenthood real quick, okay, which, please. of course, Margaret Sanger, um, you can, you know, you can read some of her uh, letters where she talks about like, oh, we want to make sure that because she was very focused on um, giving birth control methods to the African American population of the United States, and yeah, this know, is well known. If, this is a well known if, history, and you're right. I mean, it exactly, was, like, exactly. It was racism of its time, man. I was like, mm -hmm. racism of its time. It's like for sure, for sure. And then there was a rebrand. Then there was a rebrand, but the goal and the objectives okay. and the outcomes are very much. I'm sure Sanger would be very happy to see 
how things have played out. Okay, well, here's how we could possibly I just want to make one one connection, one more connection. Uh, I mean, Gates Gates' father also was in in the leadership of Planned Parenthood in Washington. So I just wanted to make that connection. You're asking about what where exactly are these connections? It's it's very it's very straightforward. There is very generational, obvious organizations that have been behind the majority of the reasons why we are running into this depopulation crisis. And um, and I think um, if we uh, just go well, ahead, I'll, would I'll it be it fair for both of you guys for me to say that, number one, certain economic factors and social factors like Vlad is talking about would right. make it much more easier for there to be things like birth control and abortion and all that kind of stuff. While at the same time, there could also be certain interests like Drew was talking about that could kind of push it along, you know, give it a little, give it a little boost, if you will. Like, I don't think that that's beyond the realm of possibility, given what Drew was talking about when it comes to certain motivations. I just wouldn't attribute all these things specifically to the surreptitious people behind the scenes. I could say, like, sure, they may have pushed it, but these things, I think, still would have been around. And that brings me to the question of, given the whole Klaus Schwab, you will eat the box, you will leave in the pod, all that stuff today with the Great Reset. How much of that do you guys see as being uh, intentional pushing as opposed to just going with today's economics? Because what I'm really trying to find here is not really something like the population stuff, which could be attributed to, like I was talking about, just capitalist uh, structures, but specific things that are artificially to a high degree being pushed that if they were not pushed, if we were able to take all the elites that are pushing certain things of that nature, let's say, and arrest them, uh, then it would stop, you know? And I know I'm being a little bit too romantic about that, but you, you see how I'm... I just, di- sure. It's been an hour and a half, and I have not yet uh, I have not yet played the, uh, the elite card once. I've not yet done or okay. said anything that would that would make that would make you think... Uh, anything... Drop a few names. Do a, do a little name no, no, dropping. No, no, Come no, on, no, we no, only no, got no, a few. No, no. Even better than that, I just want to say that I don't want to... I'm going to do one thing that, that will put me on a different side of a barricade for the sake of sport, because Drew and I don't disagree on many things, actually. We're, we're too we smart disagree. to disagree, yeah. Yeah, but I just want to say that I'm not going to criticize Mr. Schwab because I don't want to be disinvited from Davos. Mm. <laughs> Have you gone? Have you gone? No comment. <laughs> well, you're our man on the inside then, Vlad. Mm. And uh, it would be interesting to see how these things happen. But yeah, I mean, you see what I mean here when it comes to certain things that are much more uh, pre-planned that may not necessarily need to go that way when it comes to the way that culture is going. Because sure, culture can become much more liberal. We can open ourselves up to uh, much more not-so-traditional types of uh, living arrangements and marriages and things like that. But when it comes to things like, I don't know, like the 15-minute cities and various things having to do with climate change that are proposed, this is where... I start getting a bit more concerned because I do see, for example, with certain things like that, there being ideas having to do with, well, what if we have all of these people equally living 
in this right. very, you know, ha habitat, however you want to form it, way. And uh, yeah. we are going to still be the privileged with our airplanes and going around the world, while these people, for the sake of the climate, for all that stuff, they are now yeah. going to be below us. That I do not see as being a natural uh, conclusion of a uh, capitalist society, especially when we have things like nuclear plants, which uh, Germany decided to get rid of, which I think would be able to solve so many of the problems, including uh, dealing with Russia, for one thing. And yet, we don't have an emphasis on nuclear at all. So that makes I mean, me think what's going on here. Said, nothing you just said would get you kicked out of six or eight out of 14 uh, Atlantic Council institutions. <laughs> I just okay. thought of a great point, which might be able to get the the needed conflict to really spice things up All here. Right. The yeah. Nord Stream pipeline. Oh, what's okay. your take? Okay, time for Ukraine. Uh, That'll be the last thing. Yes. Uh, well, uh, you know, I, I, look, I, uh, I have a. Who do you think did it? Who do you think did it? I, I think the evidence does point that to the fact that was. The Americans letting some Ukrainian intelligence people do it. Uh, I mean, the Americans are not leaking it in the same way. They, when the Americans want to punish the Ukrainians for a particular uh, uh, act that they don't like, they leak about it. So when they don't like the Ukrainians killing a particular person, they leak about it. When they when they think that the Ukrainians go too far with a particular operation, the American intelligence services will. Uh, uh, will uh, leak about it to the New York Times, the Washington Post. There's a pattern. We know when they keep things to themselves, they keep their cards real tight, close. When they're okay with it, they don't want to. They don't want to. Um, they don't want to make the, the Ukrainians look bad because obvious for obvious reasons, right? They want the Ukrainians to win. When Ukrainians go what they over what they think is overboard, and they carry out operations that the Americans, let's say, don't think were necessarily correct, I, as in trying to kill Dugin in the middle of uh, of Moscow. They thought it was going too far, killing the daughter. They will leak information about who did it. In this situation, the American intelligence services have not leaked. So what's not known to me is more suggestive about what the Americans want known than what is known. That's my position. Fair, Drew? Uh, yeah, that, that sounds pretty good. I mean, I would just straight up say it's obvious that the U.S. did it and they want it so that there's no option for Germany to turn back the pipeline and start getting oil from or start, sorry, to start getting energy from from Russia easily again. Um, and I think I think I think them lying about it says everything. By, I, by the way, it, it just uh, we, like I just understanding what the LNG situation is and and where the uh, where the Germans are politically, it's not going to happen. It's not feasible, even if the there's no going back. I don't think it's necessary for the. If, if we get a cold winter next year instead of the abnormally hot one that we got, what do you think happens with the energy the, situation the, in Germany? Germans, the, the Germans will have uh, LNG platforms in place. The energy will be very expensive and inefficient to import but we, they will have the capacity uh to have four and a half days uh out of a five-day uh work week um mm -hmm. in order to keep industry running I'm, I, by next year they will have the situation one way or another resolved uh without the without north stream too mm -hmm. 
and they will uh, the yeah it's not like we're we're really off the the russian crack pipe energy wise europe is really decreasing uh imports it's just the the germans don't have a choice on this they've got a gun to their head and it's not the russian gun at this point now i want to make sure vlad how much time do you have left because i want to make sure we touch on ukraine if there is still uh time here give me five yeah 10 minutes yeah okay all right perfect and by the way anybody if you guys have any super chats now is the time to sneed those super chats so anyway uh drew what would you like to ask vlad specifically about uh, ukraine where you see this whole origin of the war because ukraine is something that's very close to uh vlad's uh uh, field of expertise sure I mean, out of out of every recent event, I, I don't really have that much to say about Ukraine. I think the Nord Stream pipeline really shows that whole event. The fact that it happened, there is clear political motivation for one side to do it, where it was basically, you know, it, it was pretty obvious what happened. But then the media still acted in a coordinated way to turn it into a conspiracy theory. And after the Biden laptop and the lab leak, that just really goes to show how much control there is over the media and how coordinated and not it's I do agree. I do well, agree well, that well, there's extremely yeah. stupid people in the elites. For instance, Hunter Biden was too busy smoking crack to go pick up his laptop. So that's an example uh, of, of them being he's, incompetent. He's, and then he's, a, he's not yeah. a member of elite, man. He's like a he's like a, a spawn of a member of elite. <laughs> this is the problem is a lot of these people on Twitter are. Like the the misbegotten, undereducated, overpromised, uh, like dead ender kids of a large elite with with no cultural cohesion. Uh, I mean, like over overproduction of elites is real. I mean, we all know this. And there's a lot of really unpleasant, nasty kids on Twitter who are really entitled and and don't have anything in life. Um, there's just there's just Hunter Biden is. Uh, the outcome of a nepotistic thing in Washington, D.C. More, it's a bipartisan problem, more problem on the side of a Democratic Party. Uh, there's just there's just a really, really nasty, bottom-sucking, bottom-feeding, nepotistic, oligarchic uh, class of, like, Chinese-style princelings. Mm-hmm. Who are feeding off of their family connections? Hunter Biden, I wouldn't even call him. He's a member of the elite, but he's like he's not. He hasn't done anything. To, I mean, I at least for sure, you know, for sure. reporting. Uh, yeah, like, be the money man for for Papa. Hmm. Just you know, I they share I share bank accounts, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but that, I don't like that's never been proven. Yeah. I don't think. He, I mean, there was that whole that the big guy thing. We still know who yeah, the big guy is for the big guy. Well, yeah, and and the his business partner was on tv saying yes the big guy i can confirm that 100 percent means joe and yeah you know, i don't just been, like, been completely ignored but um i i don't like i don't i'm i'm agnostic on all that i like okay. i was there hunter biden is filthy disgusting <laughs> the what's that's not what, what's really important what's really important yeah. is that the is that, uh, that's, is that uh, uh joe allowed this to happen it, he was mm-hmm. and and Hunter was protected by the intelligence services and the mm-hmm. State Department. All these people fucking. Uh, can I curse a little bit? Sure, sure. sure. Uh, only yeah. after all fifteen minutes, uh, like before yeah. fifteen minutes, you can't curse. After fifteen minutes, go for it. It's almost midnight. It's two minutes from midnight. I'm about to turn into a pumpkin. Like, <laughs> what's what's disgusting is that <clears throat> what's disgusting is that Hunter Biden was uh, like 
like a, a representative of his class of disgusting children of mm -hmm. people like John Kerry and all these people running around uh, banking on their family names and just getting money for nothing and flying around on Air Force Two and and, being and chicks for free. Well, I mean, like, like the song, yeah, you know, but, the song "Money for Nothing," chicks for no. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what's disgusting is that is that Biden did nothing, didn't do anything about it, and the like the arrogance of this entire class of people, an entire apparatus of you think you think like I'm I'm in a, I'm a Ukraine hand. I spent the last ten years of my life in and out of Ukraine. You, you think the you think we didn't all know about this in 2017? You think the intelligence services didn't know about this? You think a lot of people weren't covering up for Hunter Biden? You think so? The elite are coordinated and morally bad. Fuck. I mean, <laughs> whoa! Uh, we did it. Oh, uh, uh, ten uh, points to Drew, I guess. Uh, I don't know. Okay, Drew, 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 you like you 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 drew you drew blood at the end of this argument. <laughs> I mean, there. I mean. The, the intelligence services and all these the people. media too the media too obviously I mean, and and the coordinated response not even that the tech the coordinated response of all the tech companies all at once shows the complete mm. i mean they have so much control it's it's almost uh it's almost unbelievable. Mm -hmm. No, but the bigger question here, and this is something that I keep going back to on Break the Rules, yeah. and I did that with uh, um, Curtis Yarvin as well, is yes. let's say we assume all these bad things about the elites are true. There is still an order of operation as far as how do you respond to Vladimir Putin, who's going to be taking over uh, this piece of territory? Do you help? Do you not help? And what sure. are going to be? Well, bef no, before we get into that, what are yeah. the repercussions if you don't help? And this is my problem with a lot of people who I agree on a lot with when it comes to the problem of the American middle class and all of these nefarious things that the elites are doing. I don't right. think that they've thought this through as far as, OK, let's say we don't help Ukraine. Russia acquires Ukraine. Ukraine, what happens next? How is this going to affect the entire state of the world? And I think right. that they think that uh, once Putin gets Ukraine, it's all Gouda. He's just going to stop there and everything is going to yeah. be nice and peaceful. Do you yeah, agree? Right. Uh, disagree with that statement, Vlad? I mean, of course, those people are stupid. I mean, of course, those people are like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a hawk at the Atlantic Council, man. Like, I, I'm a Ukraine hawk. I, I, I personally got my family out as refugees out of Ukraine. My family live in Odessa. I'm, I burn up my Russian passport live on, uh, uh I burned it live on CNN with the president of Estonia, Ilves Tumas, uh, holding the lighter, man. Like, like, of course, I'm a total hawk on, on Moscow. Like, of course. We should give every should give four percent of American GDP to Ukraine right now because they are fighting the good fight. Like everything, every penny that we could give from the, from the U.S. Treasury, uh, every weapon should be sent to to Ukraine right now, short of nukes. Everything, like the entire U.S. Army, should disarm and just send everything over to Kiev right now. Um, Drew, you're it, skeptical. I well, I mean, I. I uh, you know, obviously, that that's a pretty that's a pretty wild series of statements. I feel like you might have been playing up a little bit, but um, 
Yeah, but man, yeah, I, I mean, I mean, I you're from, from there. So. No, it's well, not, I don't think it's about being from there. I think it's about what are the repercussions of not doing it at that level. That's really the question here. Because if we were to say, and again, this is going to be very bad of me, Vlad. I apologize. This is like if I if I'm going to be completely Machiavellian here, just like completely real politic, and say if I can say 100% that if Putin acquires Ukraine and will go no further then it's a different story as far as what America thinks would be the best way forward here. Would you that's disagree? An, that's an intelligent way of thinking about it. Like, what if that was the case, uh, and if you were if that were truly the realist case, and it's not, that's absolutely not the case. If this happens, there will be world-changing consequences all across the board. If, if, you, if Ukraine falls and the Americans are not able to prop it up and the, the liberal world order is not able to prop up the security uh, architecture of, of Eastern Europe, then everything else changes. China, uh, all these revisionist powers will go, will go full at it. I mean, like, this really is a world historical pivot moment of, of, of fighting for the system, right? But if that was not the case, would it be rational to l let Ukraine go? Is your question, right? Yes. Drew, ask um, so so again guys i don't want to i um you know this is really far out of uh my competency area but to my understanding just from my viewpoint from what i know and i'm looking forward to hopefully you can correct me if i'm wrong but um to my knowledge um basically uh well first of all there's been i believe there was supposed to be peace negotiations and then boris johnson flew in um and prevented that um from my viewpoint uh from what i've heard um you know the main the main problem here is that russia wants crimea or uh crimea how, crimea. how do you say it crim. crimea crim is yeah. the proper word but yeah crim. um so they want the they want the warm water seaport or whatever and to my knowledge um there what hasn't Zelensky been bombing that area, been bombing like Russian loyalists in that area against a treaty he signed um, after the 2014 um, or, you know, not him, but yeah, wasn't, yeah, there, okay. wasn't there a ceasefire yeah. that the Ukrainians broke? Okay. So, no, uh, let me, let me, uh, let me clear all that up. Uh, and those are, those are, those are um, some, it's a combination of, uh, of mis of one misinformation and one one thing which I need to be cleared up. So sure. there were there were immediately in the in the in the early days of the war there were um, peace there were feelers of peace negotiations in Belarus, and there was uh, there were early talks about talking about negotiations. In the first three weeks of the war, um, they went nowhere, and the Russians didn't want to stop. That's one thing. Two. After Ukrainians found all those dead bodies in Irpin and Bucha, there was no longer any uh, any interest in negotiating uh, from the side of a population. Eight, you have uh, eighty-six percent of a population that wants to continue fighting, and then you have ninety percent of a population, interestingly enough, that wants to make no territorial concessions. The Ukrainian population is livid, full of rage, and on war footing. Uh, this is nine out of 10 Ukrainians want to continue fighting what the government wants and what the government is capable of, uh, and what, what the army wants is, uh, in one way, 
immaterial. The Ukrainian people want to continue fighting. That's one thing. Two, uh, as the status quo was, the Russians already had Crimea before this. Uh, the, a lot of people are operating under false assumptions that that uh, that the Russians actually wanted two provinces or they wanted uh, Donetsk and Lugansk. They want no. What they want, and by the Russians I mean the Kremlin and Putin, is an end to the Ukrainian national project. They cannot have an independent Ukraine going forth in the world and and getting rid rid of uh, Russian domination. Their their basic assumption is wrong. By they I mean and these people who. Who make wrong assumptions the the russians do not want the ukrainian state to exist they tried to destroy ukraine as a political project on february 24th 2022 i was there they uh they had a full-scale invasion with not enough troops with bad logistics with bad uh bad arms com uh, uh combined arms uh, uh force with uh with, with not a great strategy with uh with, with not enough troops Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. But they tried to destroy the Ukrainian state uh, a year ago. They they wanted one thing, which is which is to depopulate, to destroy Kiev, take over the state, kill Zelensky, send his government to exile, uh, uh, cleave the country into, let uh, Lviv run itself as a rump state, maybe, and to occupy seventy five percent of Ukraine and and keep it as a country. This was their starting offer. Uh, as the Ukrainians won battle after battle, they they have lesser capacity to do things so they've 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 curtailed their wartime aims but basically they've they've gone all in on destroying ukraine so that's one thing there was the minsk accord and the minsk two accord was well, the minsk one accord was signed in summer of 2000 and uh and 14 when the russian army invade the russian regular army invaded to stop the ukrainians from t from taking back all the territory from uh, the russian backed separatists and russian led uh, led uh, separatists and Russian-led uh, uprising in the east. The Russian are the Ukrainians were winning battle after battle, and the Russians invaded in a, in August of 2014 to take that territory back. That's what happened. Uh, the, then Poroshenko, under un, under uh, uh, seeing that the Ukrainian army was about to get, get smashed, signed the Minsk One Accord, but the fighting continued. Minsk Two was signed in February of 2015. Again, I was in Kiev. I was there. Uh, it, it was signed uh, un, under, under the, the uh, again, the barrel of a gun with the Ukrainian army surrounded by the Russians. Uh, they, they were uh, eventually destroyed and a couple of thousand of them died. And uh, the, the Ukrainians and the Russians signed a very flawed uh, ceasefire deal that had no... Um, Sequencing for the way it was uh, supposed to be uh, initiated, the uh, the Russians were supposed to give up control of uh, uh, of the border. The Ukrainians were supposed to have elections on on their on on their territory, and there were numerous other things. Uh, Minsk II was uh, again hastily signed uh, and cobbled together by the Germans and the French, Merkel and Hollande. And uh, Putin and uh, Lukashenko in in Minsk and Poroshenko was there also. It had no sequencing for the way it was supposed to be implemented. The uh, uh, the 2022 was Putin trying to get the Ukrainians to implement Minsk II under the barrel of a gun, but he was never willing to give up the territory of the LNR DNR to the Ukrainians before they were going to have elections under under Ukrainian law. So that's what you have to understand. Uh, the, the the sequencing of events was not popped into into Minsk too. 
there was never there was never going to be uh, like an end of a conflict. Mm-hmm. Either the Russians were going to invade, or you would have uh, uh, kind of a ceasefire that lasted forever. This was a compellence on the side of the Russians, in the sense that every year the Ukrainian army got stronger and stronger, the Ukrainian civil society got stronger and stronger. Every year, the Russians had less and less leverage on uh, internal Ukrainian uh, politics. So eventually, Putin saw that with every year it was going to be harder and harder, and he said, uh, "Screw it!" And he went all in to destroy the Ukrainian political state in order to get rid of his problem, his little problem. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Um, I th- I think just um, you know, I think I'll uh, I think we're pretty much done here. Um, but uh, but just one other thing, just to give you my perspective on it. Again, um, you're obviously much more well read up on it than I am. Um, I just say um, from my perspective, I see. The uh, I see NATO, you know, constantly gaining more member states. And again, I believe they uh, agreed not to do that, not to um, continue to expand NATO closer and closer to Russia's border. Yeah, I mean, look, that, that that's a talking point you hear a lot. There was never anything written on paper. There were conversations about that, which were never mm-hmm. written down anywhere in the early 90s. Uh, and with the Soviets, which were never written down anywhere, and there were, there were, I mean, there, there was okay. never any, there was never any formal promise anywhere on paper. Unlike uh, the Budapest Accords of 1994, where the Russians promised not to invade Ukraine. Mm. Uh, I mean, with nuclear weapons, um, NATO is not that big of an issue for for Russia. NATO is a defensive alliance; it doesn't invade people. And sadly, the, you know, like the only countries that were left out of NATO when the Soviet Union dissolved, uh, which is Moldova, Georgia, and Ukraine, <laughs> promptly got invaded by, by, by Russia. And the ones that were not on the other side of it, uh, uh, like Armenia and Azerbaijan, went to war with each other. Mm. Finland had Finlandization, and they had, they had like, they, yeah. you know, they, Finland is a specific thing. But, like, the, if you look at the five parts of the world that were not integrated into military alliances... When when communism, both in Yugoslavia and and the Soviet Union, collapsed in '91, they were Yugoslavia. They promptly went to war against each other, killing quarter million people and like spending the next twenty years killing each other. It was Armenia and Azerbaijan, which had multiple wars over the last twenty years. Moldova promptly invaded in '92 by by the by the Russians and partitioned and used as as a as a security leverage against the against the Europeans and the Romanians and the Ukrainians on, on, on our border. Uh, and Ukraine, which was uh, fiddled with, internally manipulated, bought off for 20 years until they couldn't do it anymore, at which point they invaded it. And Georgia also invaded and uh, territory uh, annexed. So what happens when your country is not protected by a military alliance from Russia is that Russia mm-hmm. invades it. This is what mm. Russia does, I'm sorry to say. Uh, I, that's a fact of life. Well, I always yeah. compare Russia in that way to a lot of leftists, where if you don't defend uh, certain institutions, then eventually they are going to get taken over by leftists. So <laughs> I don't know if that's the uh, best comparison here, but I do kind of see Russia as being one of these things where whatever you allow Russia to take, Russia's going to take. And when it oh, comes to that... It's a, like it's a, Russia is an imperial state. That's like what that's what Russia does since the since the 18th, 17th, 18th century. Russia is an expansionary 
uh, imperial state and anything that's not nailed down, they will invade. Yeah. This is just their this is their political culture. Well, so to, like, to the other uh, to the other uh, view, they would say that, uh, and I don't want to speak for Drew over here, but in general, the fear that people have of NATO expanding is that they would say, well, maybe one day NATO is going to take over Russia, and at that point, they are going to start having rainbow and the trans flags everywhere. And right. they think that other Eastern European nations, which I personally think have been vac vaccinated via being under the USSR communism for uh, quite a while, a lot of uh, the more dissident uh, people think that those places are eventually also going to fold and become very SJW uh, leftist friendly. And I don't know if that's the case or not, but that's kind of like the concern these people have when it comes to an expansion of United States hegemony, is that with that, a lot of these nations that are sovereign right now, or they would say, well, they, they'd call them puppet states of the U.S., they would say that eventually those places are also going to be taken over by this radical ideology, and that's going to be a lot worse for people uh, in comparison to a multipolar world where other forces, be it China or be it Russia, could exert their more trad principles something like that yeah that's all not, that's all nonsense i mean like the, the poles and the hungarians are full member states of the of the european union they're pretty conservative i mean like no one no one tells them how to heck they're they're doing what they like and, and well, they'll say for now wait until we get the professors in there and we'll sneak them in and i don't know <laughs> Hungarians are doing okay keeping the professors up. Like they're uh, 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 making fun of Judith Butler is a Hungarian national pastime. They don't need the, they don't need our help with that. They're fine. Like it's fine. Like it's uh, there, there's something like quote unquote global homo. Um, like <laughs> you know, I know that I uh, uh, like I know that I I'm not even allowed to use that word. Uh, <laughs> I don't think you can print that in the Atlantic. This Council, is such yeah. a weird stream. I just want to acknowledge what's going on here. Vlad Davidson I, from the I, Atlantic I, Council I, is using 4chan memes. I, I do not want to jeopardize my, my <laughs> Rob. As these people on the internet refer to it as global homo, which I'm not saying because I'm a, a reasonable member of the American political elite and I'm a member of the Atlantic Council, but some people I know refer to it as global homo, which I'm not doing because I... I I do not uh, legitimize that kind of language, but I know some people do refer to it as global homo. Mm. And uh, well, well, homo is meaning uh, homogenization. That's what it yes. means. So yes, global, it's like global homogenization, right? Yeah. As opposed to homosexual. But by the way, I'm like I'm all for like 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 bisexual orgies in, in the Hungarian <laughs> parliament. What they have like the, that like that, that that Hungarian MP that got kicked out of out of uh, uh, Fidesz for getting caught in that gay origin in Brussels. That's just Hungarian tradition. Like, that's just fine. It's like, that's it. like, that, that, that's, that's, that's the men, that's where the Europe, Western European decadence meets yeah. Eastern European, like intransigence. Those are traditional values, right? Okay. Mm. Um, so it, glo global homogenization. Um, I mean, that's we're, like, this has nothing to do with, what we're fighting for in Ukraine. Like we just want to be mm -hmm. normal. We just want to live a normal life yeah. and, and, and not. Well, I, I guess it all, yeah. it, it all comes down to for me, and this is going to be like the last thing here. It all comes Please. down to when things get easier, when you're not fighting against an enemy or when you run out of the fumes of the times when you had some kind of pressure on you, 
I yes. think that there is going to be a tendency to soften because there's nothing to push against, and that's going to create a lot of the things that we're seeing today, which is why, sure, I could see a potential where Poland and all these other countries go through similar things. The question, though, is how do we get out of that? I don't think we get out of that by having a top-down dictatorial system that now has all of this AI and technology that it can use to solidify power even more and a lot of ass-kissers around this potential leader. I don't think that's the way out. But uh, I don't know that's a conversation for a different time, and we keep yeah, coming back the to thing. the same thing. Here's the thing: I I think there are a lot of very reasonable people on the conservative side, and like the Michael Lind left leftist side, uh, people in in particular vectors of um, of the uh, uh, Sanders left who don't disagree with us on lots of things. And I don't. I think I think you could even have a variant of this conversation with a lot of very reasonable people in Washington D.C. Um, I like, I thought this would be a much more, I, I really thought this would be, um, much more career, uh, career dangerous for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but you see Vlad, like, this is why I really enjoy a Drew side of Twitter because they bring up a lot of things that. I think a lot of the people in the Atlantic Council and other think tanks, when they get together for drinks, they would agree on. But there are certain things, let's say, uh, cer certain ways that people conduct themselves in polite well, society, where I think uh, s certain aspects of those ends up getting blocked. And I think it's a very important thing, especially today, to have an outlet like Break the Rules, where people can get together from these different yeah, sides sure. and be able to engage like this. You're absolutely right. But here's the thing: a lot of a lot of that bureaucratic uh, language, uh, thought crime, uh, conformism is more on the left. It's it's harder to say these things on the left. There's more control of language that comes from uh, kind of a censorious prim. Priggish, puritanical, uh, SJW left. Yeah, and... isn't it ironic how that switched? How's the Absolutely. how the traditionally the right has been the conservative censoring um, offensive things, and now uh, from a religious aspect, and now we have somewhat uh, a secular version of that where there is no necessarily a god, but you know they have. Mm. Well, they are the new clerisy. They are the new clerisy of new bourgeois consensus in the sense that, like, they are the bourgeois, like the the. The, the prim speech codes are are, are like bourgeois speech codes yeah. but it's so but it's so lame why are all the gen z kids or a lot of them and gen alpha why are they with all of that because it seems like they do listen to those dumb tiktok influencers there's a pendulum swing happening right now there's a pendulum swing happening but i have to tell you there are a lot of people in uh in various think tanks you would have allies uh, who think like you uh, and who think you're very reasonable people and very reasonable gents. Uh, and you, 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 you would have just like Donald Trump had all sorts of uh, support in su radically surprising places. You two gentlemen with your consensus and your, in your ideas would have uh, all sorts of people in Washington, DC who don't like certain parts of the of like the pervasive pervasive culture of the managerial liberal elites, a progressive and not liberal progressive managerial elites. You you would have surprising allies. You you there would be all sorts of interesting people who uh, would not necessarily come on your show, but would not disagree with you on a lot of things. 
well, not come on the show yet. I mean, there's a uh, room for uh, there's room for certain alliances to be formed eventually with Break the Rules, oh. one step yeah. at a time. I've been contacting a few people here and there, so you guys are going to be in for quite a surprise with the months ahead. But anyway, thank you guys so much for coming on this Friday. We are not done yet, Drew. This is Drew Tang Week on Break the Rules. We are going to have Drew back with the great and powerful Gnostic informant, my good friend Neil, and we are going to be talking about more of the esoteric side of this whole thing, something we didn't really get into today, having to do with like the Freemasonry and the aerospace industry, having connections to a lot of these mystery cult traditions. You know, it's interesting stuff. It's a very different flavor of stream, but it's also something that I personally think is worth looking into just because I don't see myself as a uh, material. Enjoy yourself on that. Enjoy yourself on that end of, of things, gents. That's yes. That's where we're. Vlad, you can sit this one out. <laughs> I, I'm gonna sit this one out. I gotta. I gotta. I gotta. All right. Oh, Vlad, where can people find you? Where can people find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, I wrote a book uh, called From Odessa of Love. I have another book call, uh, called uh, The Birth of a Political Nation coming out. It's about Ukraine and Jews and Russian propaganda and historical arguments or historical debates. Uh, I you, you could find me all over the internet. I'm on Twitter. I write for Foreign Policy Magazine. I write a column for Tablet Magazine, which is a wonderful magazine. Uh, I'm not hard to find. Uh, follow me on Twitter and uh, follow my stuff. And uh, if you're interested in my, my stuff, my books are on Amazon.com. Gents, I've had a really lovely time. Thank you for inviting me on. Same here. Thank you so much for coming in, Vlad. I hope to see you very soon. Soon. All right. All right. See you, Vlad. Thanks. Now let me change the screen and let us do the promotion for yourself, Drew. That that was a really interesting stream. I was not I was not uh, prepared for it to go as smoothly as it did. So I'm happy about that. Like I'm happy that there was a lot of common ground that was mm -hmm. able to be found between uh, you and Vlad. Would well, you I say? Gotta, yeah, I got him to admit it at, at the end, right? Oh, there we go. And yeah, and the Ukraine stuff as well in there, because I really do think that the circle that you are in, the circle that he is in, there is way more overlap than we initially think. But people usually don't have time to go outside of their norm, which is understandable. Like it's the algorithm as well. Like whatever it pops up on your Twitter timeline is usually going to be things of the people who you've already spoken with. So that is kind of like the change that I want to start making with Break the Rules, where I would be able to bring in uh, somebody from a completely different social circle, have those circles overlap, and that the way, tweed think, suit, yeah. the tweed suit, and the hoodie. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And that way, I think. We can actually uh, train ourselves. Like, I think this is all spiritual. Going back to the whole stream we're going to have with Elon Musk about, uh, well, not with Elon Musk. I mean, who knows? But uh, Do it the will probably jump in. Hell yeah. There is a, I think that there is a spiritual dimension to all of this as well, where we have these two columns of severity and mercy, and we have to kind of like go in between those columns and figure out a way to uh, balance things out. But that's all we're going to be talking about uh, on Friday. Are you a Christian, by the way? Yes, yes, I, I would consider myself a Christian, yeah. So then it would be a very interesting topic, especially because of a lot of the things that Neil brings up uh, regarding the founding of America having to do with, like, I mean, you know, all this stuff, too, like with the Freemasonry mm -hmm. and all that. Uh, mm -hmm. So we will definitely get into it. It'll be a very interesting discussion. That's going to be 5 p.m. this Friday. You guys are going to see the link right after this stream concludes. Drew, where could all the good people find you and tell us about American Apocalypse and what that's all about? Awesome. Yeah. So so I'm on Twitter. 
um at drew tang reborn uh it's uh d-r-u tang t-a-n-g uh reborn r-e-b-o-r-n and um and yeah uh my new book american apocalypse x is uh is going to be coming out shortly um I, i'm announcing the pre-order page tomorrow nice. um and and yeah it's it's basically it's a culmination of what i see as um as the kind of the finale in a way of um american dominance you know in referring to apocalypse but i think most importantly uh my goal with the book is is the true meaning of the word apocalypse is just the greek word meaning revelation Mm -hmm. which is just a great feeling and um so what we think of as the end of the world is really you know um in a way is just going to be a revealing of things that have been there the whole time so that's the goal of the book. It, it, it's basically it's going to be covering um, um, kind of how patterns repeat, how narratives are set up, how throughout time, culture of, of course, mythology is always used to legitimize, legitimize rule. So, you know, of course, the pharaohs said they were sons of Ra or Horus, Osiris. And then, you, of course, we have the Christian kings ruling by divine right. Um and all those things, the reason why those societies were able to be ruled was because there was a mythology and our current um, oligarchy plutocracy that we're leaning into, which they want to brand as a technocracy. We're very much being programmed to accept the idea that these certain leaders are there again by a new type of divine right, which is superpowers. That's the mythology of America since World War II kind of in a Nietzschean way where um, in the end of Christianity, Christianity, you need an ubermensch to, for people to idolize and look up to. Um, and those are being supplied to us through our various um, billionaire, millionaire leading um, rulers and, and yeah. through social they're, they're media. kind of pathetic uh, ubermensch, though, if we're talking about, like, I don't think they were able to exert a lot of kundalini energy, but that's just mm. my... That's just my yep. point of view there. So they're mm-hmm. not they're, they're not stepping up to what I see as the ideal, which is kind of the shame of it too, in a way, right? Like you'd expect there to be like a new revenge who's actually embodying some of those qualities, but here's that, well, these losers. That, that's kind of the thing, though, is that the the Ubermensch is the archetype of the Superman, uh, literally Superman. Um, so we have Captain America in the Marvel universe, and we have. Um, Superman himself, you see, and then you have the transhumanist superheroes, which don't have any technical, spiritual enlightenment. They have complete transhumanist technology. Mm, So like Iron Man, that would be the uh, Batman. Yeah. So those two, Mm -hmm. those are the it's it, but it's the same mythology. It's the same mythology told over and over again. And it goes all the way back to Egypt as well. And, And basically the book is is. I believe if we can show everybody the kind of script that's being run over and over again in civilizations and especially at the turning point of civilizations, when you take one empire and you roll it into a new one, there is a certain process, uh, a ritual based on Osiris that has been repeated quite a few times. And by showing what's going on to people, I think we can get rid of the political divisions. We can get rid of the ideology or the, um, you know, worshiping of certain figures 
Um, and if you can see the script, then I think people will be able to work together a lot better and we can prevent a lot of negative things from happening in civilization. Heaven, yeah. Drew, thank you so much, brother, for coming in. And uh, I hope that you are going to be able to recite the same thing uh, at the uh, table of the Atlantic Council given <laughs> a few years. These are the connections we're already making. Yeah, no, I really think that people are very curious about this kind of stuff, especially if you're living a life of like this stuffy, regimented, you know, handshaking, wearing the suit and all that. Like, I could definitely see there being way more people who are going to be very interested in your book who are from uh, that realm, and hopefully we've planted the seed for that. Mm. For all of the Atlantic Council people who are watching this right now, get Drew's book right now. You can do it under a pseudonym or whatever. I don't, I don't care. Anyway, guys, thank you so much for watching. You can find me at LovePo on Twitter uh, this Friday. Check it out. American Apocalypse. We're going to be talking about uh, Elon Musk, whether he's a Satanist or not. That's like a catchy title.